This is Movies on TV Podcast Industries. We're here for our spoiler-filled discussion of Wonder Woman 2017. I used to want to save the world. This beautiful place. But I knew so little then. It is a land of magic and wonder. Worth cherishing in every way. But the closer you get, the more you see the great darkness simmering within. And mankind? <laughs> mankind is another story altogether. What one does when faced with the truth is more difficult than you think. Welcome back, movie fans. This is Movies on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Wonder Woman 2017, and I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there. I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this trio, I am Chris. Yes, lads, it's only taken us. We're very on time. We're on brand. You know, we're getting there. We're bleeding edge podcasters, Mm -hmm. you know, right at the cusp of when things are culturally relevant, we are in there. So yeah, three three years later, three yeah. years, three and a bit years. Absolutely. I can't remember why we didn't do this at the time, but I suspect we were probably doing a load of other stuff yep. and we just didn't have time. Yep, we were still doing Gotham, John, uh, over in our Gotham TV podcast uh, over there. And then we were also doing Defenders. Yes. Uh, we were doing the Marvel Netflix So shows. we were jam-packed with yeah. other stuff. But it's great that you have sequels because that means we can do a nice lead-in Movie podcast all about Wonder Woman yeah. from 2017. Yeah, yeah is it? It's just Wonder Woman, not Wonder Woman 2017. No, no, the movie just came out in yeah. 2017, yeah, so they've yeah, just have it in brackets uh, there. So to Chris's point, you know, we uh, as we say, we usually try and record our podcasts around a time when it's culturally re- relevant or when it just comes out. Generally, the way we do it. So effectively, you wait long enough and your hero becomes culturally relevant again because the new movie is coming out in December. So so it is it is the right time to do Wonder Woman. If we miss the first chance, come around the sequel and we'll uh, and we'll record then effectively. Uh, well, I'm certainly looking forward to Condiment King uh, being culturally relevant again. again. He's always culturally always. relevant in, in my fooding <laughs> and eating. <laughs> Absolutely. But yes, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, the sequel, uh, will be coming out in December. Just announced uh, about two weeks ago that the official release date is going to be December 25th in the US. It'll be available in cinemas. Uh, I know that's a huge thing in America that, that uh, movies get released on Christmas Day. That doesn't happen in Europe. We have we have them no. released the Friday before Christmas or the Friday after Christmas, but very rarely would it come out on the actual on actual Christmas Day. Um, it'll also be available on HBO Max in the US, so you don't actually even need to leave your house uh, to watch um, Wonder Woman and 1984. You're, you're going to be able to watch it on your telly if you have a subscription to HBO Max. It's going to be included in it. You don't have to pay any more money either, so what? just pay your regular monthly fee and you'll get access to Wonder Woman 1984. Oh my goodness, what is this new way of seeing movies? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I know. I know. And it's so much better than the Mulan approach, but that's a separate podcast. I like, I like the Mulan <laughs> approach. I think that makes sense. The movie cost a lot of money, so if people wanted to see it, pay the money. You know, I, I must say, though, I, like I do it. miss cinema. Um, I really do. Like, we did go and see 
um, Tenet uh, mm-hmm. over the summer yeah. or when it came out, and it's it was so stimulating visually and and um, audio wise that. I think I came out with a massive headache because I hadn't been subject to such sensory activity before uh, with the lockdown. It had been like seven months since we'd seen something. It was kind of like, what is this thing called like IMAX and like, you know, your seat rattling Mm -hmm. with the baseline? It took took about like 30 minutes to get like our ear in so we could hear the dialogue in the movie. Uh, Interestingly, just I know we will get back to Wonder Woman in a second, but interestingly, Christopher Nolan was interviewed recently about his movies and about how he builds the sound and that kind of stuff. And he says that's the one thing he gets most complaints about from other directors. They say that the way he does his films they don't like how it sounds because you can't hear the dialogue all the time. And Christopher Nolan goes, well, effectively, the way I build my movies is with the soundscape involved. So if I don't want you to hear dialogue, that's how I balance the sound. I want you to hear the music. I want you to get the feeling of the of everything that's going on. It's not if I don't want it. If I want you to hear dialogue, I'll drop down the music. <laughs> that's my choice, effectively. Interesting. Which I, like. I thought that was quite yeah, interesting. interesting. And it makes sense for movies like Dunkirk, which was. Which again, your glasses were rattling watching that movie, you know. Yeah, I kind of um, like Mole Man in The Simpsons, where it, <laughs> you have the THX thing and his glasses break. Yeah, um, a crack. Um, that that was me in, in tennis over Absolutely. the summer. But that was going, great. Oh my goodness! It was a really good experience. Looking forward to seeing that movie again. Hopefully, get back to the cinema for that. But just to mention, uh, outside of the US, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 comes out in the cinema on uh, December 16th. Um, so just a couple of weeks' time. Uh, if you are in a country that's luckily been able to keep its uh, or rate or virus rate down, uh, that means hopefully you'll be able to go to the cinema and watch uh, a pretty awesome-looking uh, Warner Brothers movie. Uh, so it does seem like Warner Brothers are at least investing a little bit in yeah. cinema. And speaking of music, the music to Wonder Woman was awesome. It was, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Were you just doing that so Chris would sing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just every now and again. It's just it like, sounded oh. like... It sounds like a sort of a seabird cawing. Something like a <laughs> seagull, yes. Yeah. Suddenly suddenly my house is just swarmed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, like it's the birds. Seagulls in heat going We heard someone call. <laughs> I don't nice. know why they're in heat in December, but apparently hey, so. Your voice does that to seagulls, apparently. It uh, does, it <laughs> does. But apart um, but on, on top of that, just to mention again, we don't have a plan for a streaming release of Wonder Woman in Europe. It is just going to the cinema as far as we're aware, so we don't know on TV Podcast Industries when we're going to get to see Wonder Woman 1984. We don't know whether whether it'll be released on Christmas Day as a big surprise, on maybe Netflix will buy the rights or Amazon Prime might buy the rights, but we don't have HBO Max outside of North America, so uh, we can't see it uh, on release day. But we'll get to see it as soon as possible after that. And to confirm, we will absolutely be podcasting about Wonder Woman 1984 uh, as soon as we get the chance to do it. There Is it 1984 or Wonder Woman 84? 1984, as far as I've seen from all the posters. So. Okay, it, I've, just, I've just seen Wonder Woman 84, WWE no, 84. Yeah, it's 84, not it's, 94. Do you think it's 2084? No, I know it is 1984, <laughs> but I just haven't seen the actual 19. I've just seen Wonder Woman 84. I think a lot of people hashtag it as the shortest possible way. So WW84, as John said, um, that's the hashtag I've seen, definitely. It's definitely not WW1984 on, on the hashtag. Will, will it have an Orwellian premise to it? Like, uh, you know, Think Speak and Room 101. Mm, it might. It might. Mm, it could. It could tie in with Pennyworth, John. It might. That would oh. be awesome. Oops. Spoilers for Pennyworth. Uh, 
tie into like uh, Animal Farm. Who knows? Exactly. Uh, maybe. Another Orwellian classic. I think it's just going to be an interesting, bright um, movie set in the 80s. But enough of Wonder Woman 1994. We're not going to be seeing that for a couple of more weeks. We got a movie here to talk about. Slash months. Uh, was last months, yeah, possibly months. Uh, we got a movie here to talk about. If you don't subscribe to the podcast or haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, pop on over to our podcast feed. Uh, you can find it on tvpodcastindustries.com or search TV Podcast Industries on any heroic or villainous podcast catcher. You'll get all of our thoughts about all the shows we've been covering over the last couple of years. We've got six years of podcasts, over 530, I think we're, we're at about now. So uh, lots and lots of things to listen to and, uh, and follow up on. We do want to hear your thoughts on any of the shows we cover and any of the movies that we cover if you want to let us know what you thought of wonder woman or if you get to go and see it on opening day at wonder woman 1984 go and send us some feedback about it just mark it as spoilers send it to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and we'll discuss that on our podcast about that movie wonder woman 84 chris i'll go with you then on that one (laughs) yeah and we of course this episode is sponsored by patreon.com slash tv podcast industries yes we're sponsoring ourselves because hey (laughs) you always need a good fun bit exactly excellent well let's get into our discussion about the about the movie uh the movie was directed by patty jenkins interestingly uh patty jenkins was approached to do wonder woman back in 2004 the year after uh, her movie monster which i know we've seen and i think you've seen as well chris yeah. uh charlie charlie's theron in a transformative performance I think she was nominated for an oscar for it um I think it's really interesting. So it took her almost 12 years to actually make Wonder Woman. Other things took priority at the time. So she's, she was approached that long ago, and she effectively said when it came out, she's so happy she waited because it allowed her to have the CGI available, the budget available to do the movie that she wanted to do in Wonder Woman. I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, that's and very cool. And get Gal Gadot as well uh, yeah. involved in the project, yes. which she wouldn't have had back in, uh, back in 2004 if she'd originally produced it then. And the one thing I will very quickly say is, oh my God, the CGI back then would have been crazy. Yeah. Because I remember what, now, gonna just quickly put this out there. I remember seeing the CGI of the current, the film we watched mm-hmm. in the cinema when okay. it came out. And I was like, oh, not the best. Now, on the rewatch, uh-huh. on Blu ray, in 4K, I don't know whether they've touched it up. I don't know if. Like I had nostalgia eyes on when I was watching it, but it's actually, it's way better than I remember. And it looked great. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe it was the cinema or maybe it was just, they touched it up since, but no, like the, yeah, I can only imagine how bad it would have been. Not bad for its time would have been great. But now looking back at 2004, Ares battle yeah. would have been terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there was still a bit of kind of that, you know, the 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 wide shots where you see CGI characters running mm-hmm. and it looks a little kind of unnatural. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it was good. I, I thought it looked pretty, yeah. uh, pretty top notch. Absolutely. So lots of thanks to uh, to Patty Jenkins for waiting around that long, I suppose, to make uh, to make Wonder Woman. Uh, the screenplay for the movie was by Alan Heinberg. Uh, Alan Heinberg is a TV writer, uh, has written tons and tons of TV shows. But most interestingly for me, he is the uh, up- the producer of the upcoming Sandman TV show. Uh, he's writing a bunch of the episodes. I've been hearing loads about this for a long time. Uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman being uh, translated onto TV screens for Netflix. Uh, he seems massively confident that this is going to be a really good version of the Sandman. I think after listening to the Sandman audiobook, I'm quite confident that they're going to be able to do the story justice when they bring it to Netflix. But really interesting to see Alan Heinberg being involved in that, in that show. Yeah, it's going to be amazing 
uh, again, that's I don't know with the way things are currently going. I'm I'm curious to see. Is that a 2022 show? Do you it's, think now? They've cast, they've started filming and everything. So uh, they started filming about a month and a half ago. So um, yeah, it's it's coming. Where are they I, filming? Uh, in the UK, as far as I know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but they've been holding back the uh, the names of the actors that are in the roles and that kind of stuff. All you get is occasionally Neil Gaiman saying, I was down watching them film the specific scene from the start of the book and it looks great. So, um, so yeah, it's been, okay. they've been keeping okay. stuff under wraps, yeah. but it is definitely filming. So it could be I, next year. Because Netflix have, are pumping in about a billion <laughs> to Netflix in the UK yeah. or something. They're, they're, that's their right. new yeah. studio. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Because, no, I just assumed just the way... Ireland 2020, the lockdowns, all that. I just assumed like everything was on hiatus again. No, no. Uh, filming, filming began back up in the UK for a lot of shows back in August. Um, and wow. hasn't actually stopped, um, during this, during most of the lockdowns. They've been able to, uh, been able to continue production in different ways. So there are some shows like EastEnders, I think, and, uh, and Coronation Street, the soap operas that went back into production after the first big lockdown and they've stayed in production, it seems. So, so yeah, I presume they could do that for movies too. I know the young and the restless in the US went back and that's pretty brilliant because the only reason I know that is because they're kissing mannequins. <laughs> brilliant. So they, they, <laughs> when they have these like kiss scenes in like emotional, it's basically the actors are having to make out with mannequins. Excellent. Is that, uh, is that a storyline now? They're going to oh, work that in. It's going, to, it's going to be like Mannequin from the 80s yeah, where they exactly. come alive. God, I love that movie. <laughs> oh, God. It's terrible, John. I love that, that movie. <laughs> I had such a crush on the dude. And Andrew McCarthy. Yeah. I loved Andrew McCarthy. He was great. It was cool. Um, but that's that's about the sad man, Alan Heinberg, uh, going to be working on that show. Uh, the story for the movie does come from Alan Heinberg, uh, Jason Fuchs, and from Zack Schneider, who is the the master of the universe, really, of the DC movies. Uh, there's a couple of things that tie into um, Batman v Superman, a couple of things that tie into Justice League that are in this movie, and I think that's where he gets the story side uh, of yeah. his, his contribution to the movie. But we'll talk about those as we get into our discussion about Wonder Woman, where we'll start, as usual, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis of Wonder Woman? Sure. Also, forgive the Greek pronunciation. Okay. On the island of Themyscira, shrouded from the world around them, Diana, daughter of Hippolyta, leads a disciplined but peaceful and safe life on the island, unaware of her true destiny and power. However, this world turns upside down when Steve Trevor, an intrepid American pilot working for British intelligence, accidentally crashes on the island. But with Steve comes German forces intent on recovering a notebook linked to a chemical weapon being developed by Dr. Moreau, a.k.a. Dr. Poison, and General Ludendorff, for deployment on the Western Front. After fighting off the German army at a terrible cost to the Amazonians, and personally for Diana with the death of her fearsome aunt, Antiope, the terrible reality of a devastating great war that threatens to consume humankind is laid bare by Steve. With the possibility of an armistice and peace threatened by Maru's new weapon and ancient powers at play in the world, Steve and Diana team up to embark on a perilous mission to secure peace and stop their all-powerful adversaries, General Ludendorff and the shadowy figure of Ares, the merciless god of war. I am the god of war. Sorry. I know. Cupid. Ah! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I just want to play uh, the, the game now. God of War. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's a kind of more of a good guy in that sort of. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. 
He does kill a lot of things. Yeah, he kills quite a lot. <laughs> anyway, that is the synopsis for <laughs> Wonder Woman. Uh, reasonably straightforward synopsis, but let's take it through the way we talk about our movies. We'll talk about our main character, supporting players, the antagonists, the bad guys, uh, some of the fight sequences that are in the movie, and then we'll talk about the overall story as we go through our flow for the episode. Obviously, that's a pretty overall flow. I did notice in your synopsis it did make me smile, John, because we covered uh, 10 episodes of Lovecraft Country, which had a character called Hippolyta in the show. It's very difficult to switch your brain to to Hippolyta, as they pronounce her in the show here. That's oh, yeah. probably more accurate to the I Greek mean, pronunciation. Maybe. But uh, Hippolyta was a character in Lovecraft Country, which we just finished last month. So uh, so I, I love that you uh, you kept that pronunciation. No, had to. Yeah. <laughs> Will we talk about the big one, really, the casting of Gal Gadot in the role of Wonder Woman, a big moment for everybody when we saw her appear the first time in Batman v Superman, and I think calls instantly for give her her own movie. She's awesome. Uh, after after yeah. some people, even people that weren't big fans of Batman v Superman, uh, realized how much Gal Gadot still stood out in this role of Wonder Woman. What did you guys think of her as Diana and Wonder Woman, Chris? Personally, I love her. Like aside from being absolutely. Ravishing in her uh, her looks and all that. Um, she does have that kind of very much Amazonian um, kind of... Medi- I know she's Israeli, but having that kind of Mediterranean, slightly different look. Mm-hmm. Um, so she she looks... If you you would think an Amazonian would look very kind of now she definitely bulked up for this film. You mm-hmm. can see it, um, and I know there. I remember back in the day. I think there was this whole controversy that she was too skinny. Oh yeah, but I personally, that. I think yeah. I remember she was just there was this whole thing that she yeah. doesn't look like she could bench. But I'm like again, comic books people. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You don't need to. She doesn't need to actually bench press. A tank, <laughs> but there is um, a thing called CGI, and it yeah. would have been slightly weird if uh, maybe she had come onto uh, the the screen in the movie theaters looking like He Man. Well, yeah, yes, exactly. Right. Hold on one second. Yeah. But she did. She did some stats that are there that she put on something like sixteen pounds worth of pure muscle. And they still oh, say yeah. she's too skinny, but I think that was one of those things that happens with the internet. They have this opinion that stays with them for five years after a movie, even though proven untrue. She looks great in this role. Well, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. there were a few of the Amazonians as well that had, though, that more sort of physical uh, look to yeah. them, which I think yeah. is great. You know, they don't all need to look like that. Yeah. There's that range of different looks, you know? And as um, you say, Chris, so I thought that was really good. Movies, people, you know, movies. <laughs> you know, yeah. They have to do all of this stuff. Like, they're fearsome warriors, yeah. and ultimately, she's a god. So, exactly. yeah. um, you know, she, she, could, she could be, like, six foot eight or five foot Exactly, Nothing. and it doesn't matter because she's a god. Exactly. That's the yes. point. Yeah. yeah, for me, like she, she does now embody the cinematic take on Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Like that is, like she is Diana Prince for me. I, I know for a lot of, or sometimes our listeners or just people in general, you've got that Linda Carter. Um. Oh, hey, for Derek, yeah, yeah it and, is and Linda me. Carter. Yeah, and John. Yeah. For for me. I never, I, it, it wasn't Linda Carter. Like for me, um, nothing just for no other reason. Just, I, I think I kind of skipped that as a kid. You're young, uh, Chris. I, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, You're young. Yeah, that too. I'm young. <laughs> um, but no, for me, Gal Gadot does have that. Yeah. She has that Wonder Woman look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's very much it. Um, 
also I do have this huge thing where I like the fact that they they upgraded her her look mm-hmm. to not be that star spangled banner Captain America kind of uniform. Right. Where right. she was the woman in kind of the, the, the eagle and the red, white and blue. Mm-hmm. She's still the woman in red, white and blue in this. Yeah. But it's just, it it's armor. It's yeah. played into the Amazonian yeah. kind of mythos. It's, it's done really well. It fits in really nicely because mm-hmm. it just, as you say, the armor has that kind of shades of kind of metallic red and metallic yeah. blue. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is a really nice bit of design yeah. for, for her, I think. It doesn't feel like she's wrapped in the American flag, uh, cut out into her, into her outfit, kind yeah. of like Lady Carter yes. would. But and I, I wasn't and it make... wouldn't make sense for her to be like that, but exactly. I, I think. Especially because the movie. But did Linda Carter? I think it was just that it was red and blue. No, no, Linda Carter oh, really? had, had the stars uh, on on her shoulders. Yeah, I never knew yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, like I, I, I suppose a really good point to to bring up. Yeah, absolutely. When I was a kid, um, we used to see Wonder Woman every day. I think it was six o'clock just before Star Trek, uh, the original series, the repeats of that back in the eighties, uh, kind of back to back. I remember watching it with my family. All my family loved uh, Linda Carter's version of uh, of Wonder Woman, and it's one yeah. of those things with the DC universe. They were always very good during the during the eighties. Remember we. We had Superman being such a massive character for everybody. We had Wonder Woman on TV being absolutely massive. It was a huge show. And we had Incredible Hulk over on the Marvel side. Those shows were effectively what got us through as kids. There were there were things that we had available to us early on in the 80s. And then we had nothing up until all of these movies coming out. So they have to kind of stand up against the memory for us older people. Yeah. Whether they can kind of take over from that version of Linda Carter as Wonder Woman is kind of always in the back of your mind. Whether you can get a new Superman that's better than Christopher Reeve, you know, those kind of things are in the back of your mind, whether you want them to or not. And I think Gal Gadot really does stand up as the new Wonder Woman for yeah. the world yeah. today. She, she, she really does. She stands there so well, but I love that there are references in the movie to the look of Linda Carter. When she does that yeah. moment where she dresses up in her outfit, her final Diana Prince outfit, and puts on the glasses, that looks exactly like Linda Carter's Diana Prince from the from Exactly. The I, I, I feel there's a real kind of continuity almost between mm-hmm. uh, Linda Carter to Gal Gadot um, in this for me. I, I like... Obviously not in terms of the, the, the outfit and the costume mm-hmm. and, you know, it, but I, it's just, I, I see a physicality, yeah. um, continuity there between the two, mm. which I, I think's really good because for me, yeah, likewise, I loved the, the TV show. I mean, and for me, it was back then where I certainly wasn't distinguishing between Marvel and DC. Yeah. So for me, it was like there was Wonder Woman, Spider-Man and Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. And it was just like they were comic book TV shows for, for me. Yeah. And, and, and it was really Man and all of those shows that all yeah. felt like they came from comic books. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that, that, that was the rationale for me. It was that, oh, look, it's the comic books on TV. Yes. Great. But sadly, they didn't bring over from the TV show, the spinning around and transforming directly from uh, Diana Prince's outfit into the Wonder Woman outfit, which we all loved as as kids. <laughs> so I think they'll do that in Wonder Woman 84. Maybe. Possibly, I yeah. think they'll do some form of homage to that. Uh-huh. Because in this, as you said, like so that scene where they take her shopping, um, uh, where she gets her persona of Diana Prince for the first time, mm-hmm. like with the glass and everything, that was very much a homage to... What, how she looked in the, the TV show. Yeah, definitely. I, I'd say they'll definitely do bits in this. Now, one thing we should actually very quickly point out is 
in the TV show, it was night. It was World War Two that she was brought over. That's right. Um, with Steve Trevor. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this, they they wreck not retconned. Like I suppose they did. They the the the, the DCEU version of her uh, started in World War One. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, so it was the first big war that uh, Ares kind of started. The God of War started. Manipulating man. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Like it's it's a good choice, really, because one of the things you're trying to get across with the character, and there's so much of her um, mythology that you need to get across in just one film. But one of the things you've got to get across is that she is a god, and she's been around for a very, very long time. So by having the second movie that she appears in, first movie being contemporary in Batman v Superman, second movie that she appears in, having it set back almost a hundred years or over a hundred years before. The first movie she appeared in shows that she has this longevity, this extra long lifespan, just just simply that on its own. But that was a, yeah. I think that was a good choice. You know, the idea of the hidden island, um, really connecting back to um the the Greek mythology of mm-hmm. it all in that kind of first act, I thought was really good. And setting it in World War One, you know, that's at this stage over a hundred years ago. Yes, yeah. it's not as far back as as Greeks. Um, the, the, the Greek Empire. But I mean, it's just that kind of, it, 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 it felt right to, you know, anything earlier, this idea of a hidden island, you kind of would go, well, that's just not going to be possible. Yeah. Um, to, to an extent. Um, I know they did it with Black Panther and all that, Certainly but it, it is that kind of thing where they didn't really hide it, did they? It was more the country existed. Um, they hid the technology, so it from the outside yeah. it looks like they're kind of uh, nomadic farmers primarily. Yeah, um, so, I but I, I I liked where it was set. I think certainly um, it was important as well. I think with uh, a Gal Gadot as well. Speaking of Wakanda, um, it was like something you said. You know, this was this was a Black Panther uh, moment for. For, for females as well, yeah. which was really important. I think yeah. Galgado really embodied that so well. Um, you know, and just the whole, um, the Amazonian myth and legend, um, is, is such a good element of that. This strong warrior sort of group of, of um, of women, I thought was really good. I mean, I, I for me as well with Galgado, the, the moment it, it made my sort of, Goosebumps come out was where she crosses no man's land. Um, I just thought that was so epic. Absolutely. Um, where she's going to the German lines with that machine gun and placement. Um, and, you know, all the wussy men are there going, uh, stay back. Um, and it's only once she manages to take that out to go and save the villages that, um, it's, you know, they, they kind of, cross and, and follow and, and, yeah. and attack. Um, so I thought that was just really, really good. And I like how they come back to that village where, because that's been the, that's the, the test from Ludendorff of Dr. Maru's, um, new poison, mm-hmm. the, the mustard gas, um, which I thought was really good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like totally to your point, you know, about, about this kind of world of, uh, of Themyscira si- sitting outside of the regular universe, which allows them to develop the way they are as the Amazonians, as uh, working together. You know, it is it is really interesting to see it on screen. There's a constant commentary uh, going back, I think, to the 90s uh, about the Bechdel test, which is a test where 
Is there a film or a movie or a TV show where there are two female characters who are having a discussion that doesn't involve the impetus of a male character in the movie or in the universe? And they effectively set up an entire 30-minute scene here where there's nothing to do with Steve Trevor until he arrives, effectively. There is no conversation at all that involves a man. And it's something that happens so rarely in movies and TV shows because every single character on that island is female. They are... There's, there's no connection there. I think they mentioned Zeus once uh, early on in the film, but for the most part, there's no conversations between the characters that are have the impetus of men. And it's so rare on screen to see that. And I think that's that does have the same connection as Black Panther did, which is the whole society that is set up in Africa, which has no connection to any outside force, any white people outside of it. And they've that that is how their society has developed the way they have and that's what you see here in uh, in Themyscira for the Amazonians because they've been able to develop their entire society without any input from anybody outside it and this is how far they've progressed uh, in in their way so i think there is a connection between the two of those and that's why those two movies are so popular because they've delivered yeah. something brand new to an audience that doesn't get served by cinema very often and it just goes to prove if you deliver a good product to an audience that doesn't get served very often, it's going to do really well. I think both Black Panther and Wonder Woman both made a billion dollars in the cinema. And I think even yeah. even if it's to people who are served with movies more often than not, it's something that is absolutely fresh and innovative yeah. because it's yes. diff it's different. I mean, it's kind of you know, okay, this may not be the best comparison, but you know, coming back to the tenant stuff, you know. The thing I like about Christopher Nolan is just how he does do things differently, mm -hmm. I think, um, from other filmmakers. Certainly, you know, how he surrounds his movies around time uh, and it's kind of very mechanical. Um, I, I, I like that. Yes. It serves up something different and doesn't go into the whole spoiler thing. Now, uh, that's not talking about male or female or black and white with mm -hmm. it, but it's, it's different. And this yeah. uh, provides something different, like you say, as Black Panther did. Yeah. And I think it, it serves people uh, so much more broadly uh, than um, I think, you know, it, it, it normally suggests that Absolutely. people want exciting new ways of looking at um, properties yeah. and, and literature or whatever in different ways. Invite people in, give them something exactly. to watch and do it well. Like it's really yeah. important to do it well. I think there's, if there's something in, in some of the uh, material I was looking up for this podcast, which says that the pre, the previous superhero movie led by a woman was Electra. Like, yeah, that 2005, was so 2003. Something, something like that, 2003, yeah. I think, was was Daredevil, and then the next year or the year after that was Electra. So so that was the previous movie to Wonder Woman. Like, this movie is massive, had a massive audience. Yeah. And you go, why did it wait 14 years between the two? I don't I, I don't put the blame on Electra <laughs> as being the <laughs> reason why uh, there wasn't a movie between them. But I think, you know, that, and I think... Um, we had Catwoman as well, the Halle Berry Catwoman, oh, which you know, oh, is t yeah. so badly written, really, really poorly put together. Um, but you think about it that way, and that's 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 why an audience was just dying to see a film, well-made film for for that audience and everybody else. Come in, watch it, enjoy. And I know we have a lot of feedback uh, to get through later on in the episode, and a lot of people talking about the cultural impact of having this movie where there is a superhero that looks just like them on screen is, is great. But I I, th I think it's, I think there's a distinction in that it, it, it's the mainstream element of this, because, I, you know, I think, there are movies that probably are smaller, less well known that deal with this equally as well. But this is very much 
mainstream. Yeah, is, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, uh, which is good. Yeah. For for me, it was uh, I I found it so interesting because so the Bechdel test. I remember this argument coming out before mm-hmm. back when this film came out, and I remember this this move against it, essentially going, but no, Ares and Zeus are in it and they drive the plot forward because there was this assumption that no, 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 you cannot have, you cannot have a female led centric plot at all. Like they just, they had to push back on it. And it was just this amazing dichotomy of the audience not sorry and i don't it again it's vocal minority versus uh, silent and yeah yeah, minority versus a majority because as you said this was a billion dollar film yeah like because and i remember and again it also kind of even slightly feels back to why gal gadot for me is wonder woman and Mm -hmm. i kind of do see it because she went on this press PR when she was doing her junkets and stuff she still got she similar to Tom Holland how Tom Holland is very much Spider-Man right now for me uh-huh. and Peter Parker because he does all these like he goes up to ki- the kids in costume mm-hmm. she in costume went to sick uh kids hospitals yeah. uh she basically spent time with all these little girls kind of showing them that they they too could be Wonder Woman. Like they 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 have this they don't have to have this skimpy and I say skimpy, like Power Girl. Do you remember Supergirl? Uh, like that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Again, like now looking at how where we are now, where a Supergirl on the CW, right? Yeah. There was she's allowed to wear pants. Yeah. That's crazy. Not because it, it the fact that there was this whole no, you can't change her costume that she has to wear. She's wearing pants. Never. Yeah. And you're like, but why? Yeah, like, I think these things have to change. And just, and just yes. to point out quickly, the, the Bechdel test, just to be completely clear about it, the test was that there was no, that there had to be one scene in a TV show or a movie. One scene between two female characters, not driven by a male. And it is unbelievable if you look at any of your movies and TV shows yeah. that you love that have main female characters. It's unbelievable how many times two female characters would sit down, Willow and, and Buffy on Buffy the TV show. It's named after her. How often are the two of those characters sitting beside each other talking about the off-screen boyfriend, their fathers, their uh, the uh, angel, for example, or the bad guy that's yeah. in the show? That's unbelievable when you look back at all of your shows and movies and to have this so central in this opening of the film this first 25 minutes to have it so central where they're not talking about men because they can actually forward the story talking about each other is it's phenomenal that it didn't happen more often but there's loads more to talk about other than just Wonder Woman and and Gal Gadot we'll talk about her much more because she is so central to the movie let's talk about some of the other players and her connection between uh, the other characters in the movie yeah I mean I suppose that links in uh, for me with the Gal Gal Gadot um, aspect because I, I do really like how um, Gal Gadot does you know she has multiple relationships you know she's coming from this naive place mm-hmm. and ultimately all these different relationships with herself that you know she 
gradually understands that she's the god killer mm -hmm. in this, not the sword. It's not this physical representation. It's that she is um, a god herself. It is also then with the wider world in that, you know, the... The, the island of Themyscira has been isolated uh, and there's this like rude interruption from Steve and, and the Germans, so to speak. Um, but this, this understanding of the wider world that forms from her as she moves through. I mean, I, I really like that ending with Ares where, um, she is saying, um, what you're saying is absolutely true about humanity. Effectively, they're crap, mm -hmm. you know, but they're also much more than that. I right. then also not crap. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> and, um, and then she has that one on one. I don't with... think that would have worked as the final speech. In the no, movie. I know. I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but I, I'm also like that relationship then with Steve as a man. Um, and also the, that his, the group that he, he has around him mm -hmm. with Charlie the Thief and, and Samir. She does this really, really well. And I think those players really help build that, um, sort of that realization that yeah. her, her moving out of this naivety that in effect Hippolyta, um, has tried to keep her because she wants to shroud Diana mm -hmm. from Aries as much as the island is shrouded. Yeah. Um, and I like that thing with Hippolyta and Antiope that uh, her aunt is the one that's trying to uh, sort of develop her as 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 a warrior. Mm -hmm. um, but they're also trying to hide her god godliness, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking about those two major players in, in Themyscira, uh, uh, Hippolyta and, and Antiope, um, I really do like the casting of both of these characters. I love the kind of warring between the two sisters that we have here. We have Antiope, who is the leader of all of the Amazonians. She is the, the proper lead fighter. Yeah, of she's all like of them. the general. She's like the general, exactly. <laughs> and we have, uh, Hippolyta, who is the, uh, the queen, I guess, the, cre the, the, the crowned yeah, queen yeah, of, the of the, uh, of the whole, uh, society. But the two of them battle over the idea that of, of whether Diana needs to train and become an Amazonian warrior. I, I like that. Uh, that attack between the two of them, effectively the battle between the two of them as, uh, for the soul of Diana almost. You know, do you want to let her lose her innocence really early? At eight or nine years old, she's watching all of the Amazonians fight and battle and she wants to get in and learn how to fight. But her mother wants to keep her back in her studies and not be out fighting with uh, with her with her aunt. And I, I, I love that kind of conversation among all of them. She's supposed to be, we know, because it's Wonder Woman, she's supposed to be the greatest um warrior of the Amazonians supposed to take over that title from her aunt effectively but I love that it's her mother that's holding her back saying we don't want that to happen to you well and Hippolyta is a daughter of Ares yeah as well um so oh, but I, yeah yeah, okay. I, yeah, she's, yeah she's um uh there's a there's a family tree there to, to Ares yeah <laughs> it's uh, a bit of a weird one as well because isn't they her mother supposed like supposed to be also part of like the daughter of Zeus but at the same time, then in this, Diana is the daughter of Zeus and her mother. She's made from clay and brought to life by Zeus. Zeus, yeah. That's what they uh, say in the movie, yeah, yeah for, uh, for sure. But it, ultimately, as well, it's, you know, it's uh, a family tragedy going on here, <laughs> which I think, you know, it is also between Hippolyta and Taipei, um 
is is the same. But I think um, the the Connie Nielsen and and Robin Wright of Fab. I love these two actors, um, and I think uh, Robin Wright just has that awesome, awesome uh, screen moment in in the battle on the beach where she mm. is lifted over the rock where the three German soldiers are, and she fires uh, the three arrows at them. Oh. I love that scene. I was just like. Oh. <gasps> Amazing. Absolutely. I want to be in her army. Absolutely. I have to say Robin Wright is one of my favorite actors. I absolutely loved her in in the House of Cards. Uh, I think she was such a strong character in that show. I know that she eventually took over the lead role in the show, uh, totally understandably, um, because she is such a good actor. Really, really enjoyed her. And enjoyed enjoyed seeing her in this movie. It's one of those ones where you're going, damn it, she's gone, isn't she? By the end of this film, she's she's died, so we're not going to see her back in next season unless we see some flashbacks, which is entirely possible. But I did like her as being the kind of guiding hand for uh, the future best, greatest warrior of the Amazonians. Well, it'd be interesting to see how much they do go back because Diana can never go back Mm -hmm. to Themyscira. But she can flash back to her training. Well, that's true. <laughs> Learning new lessons from your old training is is, uh, is definitely a trope of, of uh, superhero movies and superhero comics as well. <laughs> I do think they'll go. Should they'll bring her back? That's the thing. So I, I well, we actually know that she kind of has to because she from marketing in Wonder Woman eighty four, she has new armor. So, yes, she does. Yes, of course. So, so you mean they'll she, bring her back to Themyscira? Sorry, yes. I thought you meant that they'll bring Robin Wright back. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Yeah. But I think that will. That it, they'll. I also think they'll bring Robin Wright back because it will be, as you said, new new knowledge from old training. Exactly. So it would be like, yeah. I, I need I need new armor. I remember I had this training once in this armor that was better than the actual Wonder Woman armor that I was that was kept mm-hmm. like aside from us yeah um yeah i think that's what they'll do but i i'm hope well i'm hoping that's what they do because they do the, again yeah this opening 25 minutes is just fantastic absolutely yeah absolutely we'll talk about that a little bit more in the in the battle sequences because there are some great moments in there that we definitely need to call out uh just yes. on the supporting players again i know uh steve trevor is effectively it's chris pine he's he's you know second title on the on the credits for the movie because he's in most of it what did you guys think of, of steve trevor in here like you know chris chris pine has led massive movies he's been in jack ryan as lee player he was in star trek as captain kirk and in here we kind of have him as the sidekick almost to Wonder Woman and comic relief a lot of times in here. What do you think of his of his role in here as as uh, and obviously the love interest? Sorry, that is a very important part of his role in here. I I, I loved it. I mean, I I thought he I thought he brought a lot to it, and I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, my favorite scene is where they're on the boat um, going to to London, mm-hmm. um, and I just the whole that kind of awkwardness, you know, of his. His world with marriage and that people don't actually really stay together that often and about having this separate bed for, for Diana on the boat and he's not going to sleep next to her. Yeah. Um, and, um, and her talking about being sculpted from clay, um, and that she, she has no mother. And I thought that was really good. I mean, Chris Pine, I think, does kind of, um, what he does in this movie really well, yeah. which is he, he, plays that oddball and he I think he does humor really well so mm-hmm. I I really liked how he plays off with Diana but he also has the ability to be 
um, really involved and deal with the heavy stuff as yeah. well, like in the final uh, scene, uh, you know, his heroic moment. Um, so, like, I thought he was excellent, yeah, I really uh, liked to be honest. Yeah. he There's a reason he is one of the leading Chris's in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the Chris <laughs> yeah. Pratt, the Chris Evans, and the Chris Pines. Yeah. Um, I'm probably forgetting another Chris. Me. No. Um, he, he can Evans? definitely be the film. Did he's the Star Evans? Trek. He, he's Kirk. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no, Evans. Oh, don't worry. I said <laughs> Evans. Um, but he, 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 he's a leading man in that he can play Kirk. Yeah. He is Kirk. He, he embodies that. He did so many other films where he, he's a, the, the true, the true ability in this is that he is a supporting character. So he doesn't, chew any of the scenes mm-hmm. he doesn't steal the the show the spotlight it's still about the, the wonder woman in those scenes he plays that i think i just uh, i think john you said like the comic relief almost even that scene when they're on the boat like yeah. it's yeah. Uh, which i also one of the best bits about that trivia is that a lot of that scene was improvised. I heard that, yeah, yeah. and I could not believe that. And mm. apparently, yeah, like the the script, it doesn't actually have half of that in. Very good. Um, it's just all that they they kind of, um, Paddy Jenkins kind of just put the camera and went, "I need you to hit this bit, this bit, this bit, mm-hmm. and go crazy." Yeah. So knowing that Gal Gadot was kind of having all the the treaties, the twelve volumes of treaties uh-huh. for. Uh, Pleasure and all that. Pleasure, yep, yep. Um, I was, I was laughing. John, volumes. John was writing his notes last night, and uh, while he was watching the movie, and I saw him write down the words "men dispensable" <laughs> when he was writing his notes. Uh, not unimportant, <laughs> yeah. Uh, very, very good stuff. But yeah, that's that's a really fun scene. I think the other scene, uh, I'm sure, stands out to a lot of uh, a lot of us, a lot of people watching the movie, where we have uh, um, Chris Pine being objectified by uh, by uh, Diana when she meets him first, coming no, coming out no, of the- he thinks he is, yeah. Yeah, yes, that's the difference. <laughs> that's the whole point. Is that he thinks uh, she's looking at his uh, undercarriage, and mm-hmm. um, when in fact she's, she's looking at his watch. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. A very, a very funny scene. Yeah, and there's also Chris Pine was Peter Parker in Into the Spider Verse as well. He was one of the Peter Parkers. That's and right, yeah. that was a really funny, you know, it was a great take on Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, which I really liked. And he also, of course, is probably one of the few actors that has made, um, trains sexy. In oh, Unstoppable. Unstoppable, of course. Yeah. Yes. That was a, a good film as well. <laughs> With Denzel Washington. With Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah, yes. Really good. Very good. Um, another bit of major comic relief in the film, we have Etta Candy, the secretary for, uh, for Steve Trevor. <laughs> uh, I love her introduction. I really love the idea of this kind of fish out of water stuff that we have going on with Diana, where she meets, uh, the secretary Etta Candy for the first time. And Etta explains what she does and it's kind of like, well, I do everything really. You know, he just tells me what to do and I do it. <laughs> and, uh, and Diana kind of go and, we had that before that's called slavery (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which i love so we do kind of see the building of their relationship throughout the film as well there is a connection between the two of them as etta's kind of 
really taken by how Diana carries herself, you know, and, and she starts to kind of look up to Diana for the way that she's able to carry herself in this world of men of the early 1900s. I think that's that's a really good kind of change in the character. There's a, a scene we'll talk about later on, um, which follows the food, the movie. There's an epilogue scene with Etta Candy uh, where you see that she's kind of taken over a leadership role, which we'll, which we'll talk about. So that is the development of her character. But I thought she was a really good comic relief seeing how a woman of the world of, of England at the time in the 1900s, how she carried herself versus Diana. I thought that was a good, uh, a good interplay between the two of them. And she is very funny, uh, in, in most <laughs> of her scenes. Uh, most famously known as, uh, as the, as Diana from, uh, from the office, yes. the UK office. Um, so she was the, uh, she was one of the lead roles in the, the UK office as well. So I, I, I will, um, I will quickly just point out that while I've seen the American office, uh, multiple times, unfortunately, um, because my wife loves that show. Okay. I have only ever seen one episode and not even a full episode of the UK office. No way. Yeah. That's awful I just, Ricky, Ricky Gervais, I just have a hate-hate relationship with him. Wow. I don't know why. I just can't. I don't find him funny. But anyway, moving on from uh, a very wonderful actor. Yeah, I, to... have, I have to correct myself. She was called Dawn on the UK office. That's what happens. Oh, uh, there we are. Says it's Dawn. Apologies. Uh, but she was one of the main characters in that show. I'm, I'm, I, I kind of wish you, Chris. I did watch all of the UK office, uh, just to say it. Um, I did watch all of it. But part of the problem was I did work in an office at the time. And I def- and I was a manager at the time. And sometimes I kind of felt some of Ricky Gervais' traits. I could feel that I was doing things like that in work because he's a very good observational comic at times. Uh, and I, it kind of was really uncomfortable to watch when you looked back on some of your times uh, at meetings and with other managers that I worked with where you're going, oh, yeah, that's, that's a bit too close to home. <laughs> Whereas the American <laughs> office is funny but it is ridiculous most of that stuff would not happen in a work environment <laughs> that's why i don't watch silicon valley right that's because i work in work. a silicon valley uh company yeah. and it's just like yeah no i i know people like that i uh-huh. just i can't nope nope just <laughs> no um but moving on from a wonderful actor uh or actors to another set of mm-hmm. wonderful wonder men actors um, do we, should we talk about the, the, our three, the other supporting characters of, uh, Diana's army? I yeah. don't know. What's the best way of putting this? Yeah. I suppose, you know, one of the things about the story of this movie, it, I was kind of, kind of struck by the fact that it comes from one scene in, um, in Batman v Superman. It's where Bruce Wayne realizes that Diana is chasing down this photograph of herself in World War One, um, this photograph of herself with her team surrounding her. We have Steve Trevor, we have Charlie, we have the Chief, and we have Samir. Um, she's chasing down this photograph. The movie here, Wonder Woman, begins with Wayne Enterprises delivering the original photograph that was taken of her with her team to uh, Diana in her new uh, office in the Louvre in France. Um, so that is the whole kickoff point of this entire film. It almost feels like we saw this one scene in, in Batman v Superman and the entire movie is leading to what's that photograph about? Who are these people? So it was really important that we saw who uh, Charlie the Chief and Samir are in connection with Diana and who uh, Steve Trevor is in connection with her. So um, so really important that we do talk about those three characters because it was the big mystery as to why is there a photograph of Diana Prince back in the 1900s effectively so um so some interesting supporting characters here each has their each has their role kind of similar to uh, for me from comic books kind of similar to the Highland commandos uh, of world yeah, war ii and, and sergeant fury um though that's kind of what i was looking at them each each person has their relevance and their and their um 
special skills. We have Samira, who's the actor, uh, who's able to get them in, in and out of, uh, in and out of the, um, the gala dinner that they need to get to because he's a good actor, uh, puts on the role. We have, uh, Charlie, who's supposed to be one of the best marksmen, uh, in all of the army. So, uh, and we have the chief who has loads of connections and loads of, loads of ways of getting, uh, in and out of, of various places. So that's their roles. What did you think of the three of them and their importance to the film? overall i i i really like them i i, I like this uh triplet of, of different characters because mm-hmm. i think ultimately they were that yeah they were trev's um you know network that he used as as a spy steve trevor we're gonna yeah. reduce to trev trev okay. old trev um <laughs> well the thing is with steve trevor i just didn't you know, for me from this movie, it feels really Steve Rogers, um, to okay. be honest. Um, certainly going back, I know it's World War One instead of World War Two. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was wondering to what extent in the comics, the Steve Trevor character is a bit like, you know, minor super serum, uh, like Steve Rogers. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. but I, I, I like the, this, this triplet. Um, because I think ultimately, not only, as I say, are they the, the network around, uh, Trevor and that relationship, but they ultimately feed Wonder Woman's, I think, epiphany or realization mm-hmm. about the world of men or the world outside of the, the island. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, each time she's introduced to them, she, in herself makes a, a weighted decision about them, you know, with, with, um, with Charlie, the, the, uh, sniper that he has no honor and yeah. that the, the chief, he's a smuggler and yeah. um, that Samir is a liar. Um, and over time she realizes that actually Charlie has, you know, effectively PTSD and, yeah. um, and is struggling with the people who he's killed. And, and you have, the chief um giving things away for for free to the village after they you know not capitalizing on it yeah. being charitable um and you, she hears samir's tale that he actually always wanted to be an actor it's not um but because of uh who he is there's no place for him and yeah. uh, which is you know all these things that kind of make um, or, you know, come as an epiphany to, um, to Diane when she's fighting Ares to Wonder yeah. Woman. Um, and I, I like the chief one in particular, um, where she says, why are you not fighting? Oh, yeah. And he says, I've fought in a war and I, I've seen that and we, and we were decimated. And she goes, well, who took that from your people? And he just kind of looks over to Steve Trevor and says, his people. Yeah. Um, and I think that was really good because again, that actually she started to question about Steve mm-hmm. in that moment. And so, you know, she, she's there thinking that this whole ragtag band are pretty, uh, dishonorable really yeah. in, in many sense. Um, and very much almost the antithesis or the opposite of her. Amazonians on the island, but she realizes that, um, through that chat with Samir is that everyone's working through their own exactly. stories. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really liked how they kind of, um, had that dimension to, uh, Diana's, uh, story. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Cause it, it, through the storytelling effectively, it's changing it from being good versus evil, which is what 
Diana thinks she's coming out of Themyscira to do is just go kill Ares and this will all be over is effectively her whole thought process. And the whole concept of it is humans are complex. They're not just good. They're not just bad. They have everything going on. Every Everyone has sides to them. Um, and you have to accept or everything about them to be able to understand them. So, uh, so I, I did like that kind of through line, uh, mo- mainly used uh, with these guys, the the Wonder Man, uh, her her team, effectively. Uh, Chris, anything on uh, on these guys on Charlie and, and uh, the Chief and Samir? Um, so Charlie and Samir, I just love. I I I think, and I I, I don't. I'm not even going to belabor any of the points that you guys have made. And just it for me, it's that transformation. That Diana, of how Diana sees them in that, yeah. like the duality of man, yeah. the, which is a whole thing theme throughout the the whole film. Men are both good and evil, yeah. kind of thing. Um, the one thing which I I do love, and I remember hearing this after, uh, is that uh, the chief is not human. Okay, and it's been confirmed he's a god. Wow! Right. Um. Awesome. He his first words to. Uh, and it's in IMDb trivia, if anyone wants to kind of double check, but it's essentially that his first words is basically, hello, my name is Nappy. Um, when he introduced and he speaks, um, uh, Blackfoot to her, okay. yeah. uh, when they first introduced and Nappy in mythology, the, the Blackfoot, uh, Indian mythology is a creator god and a trickster and, is a, a kind of a, a god on the level of Ares. Interesting. Kind of thing. Interesting. Um, so it was, and it's been confirmed by Patty Jenkins uh, and the writer that, yeah, it, at some point it would have been like, it. obviously if the DCU had have gone on and there had have been loads, we were on our third Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. um, that this would have come up more. So we possibly like, may see him back in the second Wonder Woman. You never exactly. Know. You never know. Exactly. That's an interesting point. Um, I like that. For me, Samir, it steals the show. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it just, uh, it, it's just that, that style of character, um, that he wanted to be an actor. He's always smiling, but he has this underlying issues, problems. Um, and then for the, I never fully got the, the character of the sniper, the, 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 the sniper who takes, who kills people at a distance. Mm-hmm but then is hiding his own hurt, but can't shoot because the, the one part just on this and it just, it never fully clicked for me was how he suddenly is able to shoot again very quickly because he, he can't, he can't take the shot at the bell tower after the front line. But then subsequently, uh, when they suddenly get to the, the final act, he's able to shoot again using the scope. (laughs) And it was just that that just, it was just a small bit that obviously got missed. Yeah, I, I know, that I know what you mean. I think it's to do with uh, the belief that Diana has in him after they have that moment of respite, the moment where she um, kind of gives him something else to believe in. I think that's kind of what it is. He's following her lead, um, yeah, and because of that, he's able to kind of get himself back to himself a bit. Um, we, we, it's kind of tied into him singing in the bar, and she kind of yeah. has a conversation about with him. That isn't about him murdering people effectively from a distance. And it kind of feels like yeah. because of the belief she has in him. But you're right. There, there certainly could be a little bit more in there. I actually thought the other way around. I, I was kind of going, he's been brought along in this mission, hired by Steve Trevor because he is uh, this master marksman. 
and we don't see him actually taking a <laughs> exactly, shot before yeah. we hear about his PTSD before he takes any shots effectively. So I was kind of thinking, would you not have one moment where he takes this amazing shot that no other human could take and then have the revelation that he feels every single death that, of, of everybody that, that he's killed, but they did it the other way around. So it, I just thought that was a, yeah. a little odd for me. It is. It's just a strange one. He just, it's the, it's the, He's the strange nugget of the group, if you will, yeah. from a story perspective. It just doesn't. I, I, I get the feeling it was probably a cutscene or yeah. something yeah. that could have. Just, but overall, love the group. Yeah, they're they're a great gang uh, in there, and I think we probably could see more of their adventures uh, in. in I could, I could definitely watch more of their adventures, let's say, yes. uh, in the future if we had the opportunity. Um, it felt to me like you could have a spin-off with these yeah. guys and it would almost be a bit Indiana Jonesy. Yeah. I, I, that was the kind of level of interaction for me. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, or at least a comic book tie-in uh, with the three of them involved. Yes. You know, or the four of them involved, obviously, with, with Etta Candy, as we, as we mentioned. Um one of the things that's kind of talked about a lot with the movie is the antagonist, the bad guys of the movie. And I think Ares gets talked about a lot. Um, we talked about it, talked about it a little bit so far. But there are three main antagonists in the yeah. movie. We have uh, Dr. Maru, the, or Dr. Poison, as she's called, um, who's developing this super weapon for uh, for the German army. Uh, we have uh, Ludendorff, uh, who is a member of the German army and, and is kind of pushing Dr. Maru to do the creation. Both of those are pretty well developed, I think, as as villains in the film. And then we also have the hidden villain behind it all, which is Ares or Sir Patrick Morgan uh, in the movie. What what did you guys think of the the kind of arc of the bad guys in the movie? I, I, personally, I think there's loads of story to tell in what's happening with Diana, who she is, the the whole society of the Amazonians, and then she needs a foil for the film because hey, it's a comic book movie. We need to have some uh, some push here. Um, so I felt that the the bad guys or the antagonist side of it was a little bit smaller than it would be in other movies because this is her first movie and they were getting a lot more. Other it, stuff across. I think I think they were smaller, but I don't think it hurt the movie because I think the story is quite straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's quite simple. So we didn't need huge backstories around Ludendorff and Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Um be because and and I, I think with with Ares as well, there's also a lot of shorthand here, you know, in terms of even at a basic level, the, the Greek mythology aspect or, you know, kind of just connects in. Um, if, if, well, okay, uh, assuming you know about it, I get, I get it. Right. But I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of shorthand that can be played here. Uh, even just the idea of, um, with, with, with Ludendorff, you know, that, that, that sort of, evil general who is trying to thwart a peace process then mm-hmm. and the armistice ultimately there's a lot of shorthand there i thought it was great having as much as we did with dr maru i think we could have had more of her background yeah. ultimately because i mean the the mask that she has is just awesome i think that's really yeah. really superb and then Quite where, where it's yeah. taken where it's kind of pulled off right at the end as you know Ares is egging on uh Wonder Woman to 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 kill her effectively mm-hmm. um i thought was um superb um like the 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 look of it was looks so good and you just kind of like going what is what's is it it's just her testing but you know how did she develop and move into developing poisons and chemical weapons. Mm-hmm. So I, I really 
that was kind of maybe where it would be nice to have a little bit more. But I think with Ludendorff, um, yeah, I mean, he's a general in, yeah. in an army, uh, that is seen to be, you know, uh, he, he, he's the, the bad egg in, in this, the terms of this peace process. And then for me with Ares and then Sir Patrick being shadowy, that whole idea that, you know, he wasn't the one because Diana thinks Ludendorff is ultimately Ares. Yeah. Um, it's actually the shadowy figure sort of manipulating in the background. Um, and it's like, for me, it felt very much like Dr. Moriarty in Sherlock Holmes, this mm-hmm. idea of setting in chain the events. Um, because I do like that thing right at the end from Ares where he says, I simply whispered in their ears, um, they took the decision to go to war. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have to. Um, and that to me is very Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty mm-hmm. in terms of, um, he, at least the film, this idea that, um, the events are, are, are built up to increase the probability of them, of mm. something happening. Uh, and yeah. that, Again, I think there's a lot of shorthand in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the obvious bad guy in Ludendorff. It, it, it's the manipulator in the background. Yeah, yeah. Manipulating the dark side of the humans, basically. Yeah. yeah. yeah for, so for me, I personally feel Maru was underused. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like just, and that's just like, again, yeah, you don't, you don't get the backstory of the history, which I would have liked. Yeah. Like, I know Basil Exposition coming in going, yes, she was this amazing chemist who burned her face and went slightly crazy, blah, 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 blah. Like, I, that's how they probably would have done it, but even that would have been better because we, we would have got this more, we would have got better history around the character. Yeah. But I think what we got with her was always this great secession. I remember uh, the the actual switcheroo with Ares mm-hmm. for me was actually fantastic. Right, like I I did remember like I remember it not being Ludendorff because the bit that we always knew was that the fumes were giving him super strength, mm-hmm. so he he couldn't have been Ares because Ares would have had super strength right. already. Right, so that was the bit where I was like, eh, they've already told us it's not Ares. Mm-hmm. Um, I just that maybe Ares was just this big bad by himself. Yeah. Um, but I do think, as you say, John, that the kind of shorthand of Ludendorff does make a lot of sense. They're coming up to the end of the war. Germany's on the back foot. The rest of the world army is saying, sit down, let's write this treaty. Let's go into a peaceful place. There's going to be somebody in that army who's going, if you just give me one more week, I have a plan here and we can win this thing. You know, There's definitely going to be somebody in there. That's Ludendorff. He's going to go and look. I have a plan. If you just give me a little bit more time, we can take over the world. We can win this thing, you know? And I, I, I like that about Ludendorff, that uh, while he's not the big bad, he's not Ares, you can kind of see how he would be the villain here in any World War One story. He is the one that's trying to push just a little bit more time and we've got this, you know? I think the other yeah. thing as well with Dr. Maru, um, I think Eleanor Anaya just... Because she has the mask on, yeah. there's something about her performance, whether it's in the eyes and her facial expressions, that just suggests so much pain. Whether that's physical from the 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 injury that she has that's being covered up, but uh-huh. it, it felt more than that to me. It felt like there was a depth to this character that was actually being portrayed um, from the the actor. Yeah, yeah um, I know what you mean. That I wanted to know 
why it was there. And so, like to to Chris's point, that is the the one I would have liked to have seen more on yeah. because it really felt there was an interesting story behind her um, pain that she was portraying on on the movie absolutely um, like isn't there that moment with uh, with um steve trevor who's kind of chatting her up almost at the party and you, yeah. and you see her eyes start to yeah start to kind of get um start to water i suppose and then she realizes as diana walks in in that magnificent dress as she walks in that, that steve trevor's attention is completely taken from her and then her whole visage changes her whole way of dealing with them changes and she walks away yeah. from them so you're right there are some little scenes in there but you're but there definitely could have been more uh with the character um the sir patrick morgan flip to being aries i don't know for me this is the one that's probably a bit more maligned that people do make the comment about it i'm not too sure david thulis in the particular outfit i think he plays sir patrick yeah. morgan very well i'm not yes. too sure whether they did a great job of translating him into the God of no. War, um, Ares. I'm not. I'm not too sure. He's a great actor. I do like him in most things that he's been in, but I'm just not too sure the bulking up of him and the CGI version of him as the bad guy worked that well. At least this, they hid it behind armor, I reckon. But I also think the complexity of his storyline might have been a little bit too complex when he was saying that he was actually driving the Germans to the armistice because he knew they couldn't keep it. I was kind of going. Is that really the plan of what Ares would do? He has all of this opportunity to to whisper in people's ears and create amazing weapons. And in the movie here, they're hiding that Sir Patrick Morgan is the bad guy by saying he's the one that's going to drive them towards an armistice that they won't keep. I was kind of going, that doesn't seem to make sense. Shouldn't he be the general, maybe, in England who's not willing to give up the war, um, but is being convinced by somebody else to not give up the war? It felt like they were working too hard to hide that this person who was supporting Diana and Steve was actually the bad guy. <laughs> That's what it felt like. I, I don't know um, what you guys think of that. Yes, when you take it at face value on that, it's like, it's like yeah, that does not make sense. Mm-hmm. I took it that the Germans wouldn't keep because Ludendorff was about to bomb the hell out of them with a big gas. Uh, okay, yeah, So maybe. that's the gas played in because we do see his whispers with uh, uh, Dr. Moreau. Dr. Poison, he gave her the formula yeah. for this yeah. new gas. I like that scene, actually. I, I like the wisp of yeah. of Ares going past, yeah. or, or Sir Patrick. Um, I thought that was really just, again, a nice bit of shorthand to yeah. that idea that effectively took Sherlock Holmes' uh, second movie, the entire movie, to, to do. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I don't remember anything about that movie. I know that's one of your, your favorites. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like why would he actively be working on the side of peace? And that's his motivation. <laughs> it just, it, it just seemed like, <laughs> it seemed like for story reasons, we're going to hide the fact that this guy is Aries. What would be the one place we'd hide them that the audience won't suspect? We'll put him on the side of the peace process. <laughs> like it just felt weird, but well, yeah, I, that's yeah. my only complaint. I mean, I, th- I think. Sir Patrick's character, because again, the, the shorthand is with Ares, that he's the god of war and this is what he does. Yeah. Um, but Sir Patrick then um, being Ares and embodying it, that motivation, as you say, there wasn't enough time dedicated to that because you see him initially in London after they've brought uh, Murray's notebook back and then, um, you know, he's helping them and then. He's Ares, yeah, um, and it, yeah. it's kind of like 
his is maybe the most disjointed and a few more connecting threads yeah. uh, in there. Not necessarily giving away that he was Ares, you know, not undermining that switcheroo, mm-hmm. but showing something maybe a little more Machiavellian um, than than what we see. I think the only hint that we get of that is when um, Etta, who's coordinating Trevor and the Wonder Men in Belgium, is there um, and he tells her not to give away the location of Ludendorff yeah. where the test is happening. Yeah. But then she does anyway. So, I mean, it's kind of like it, that's the only possible area. Like if he had killed her or something, that could have been more impactful. Yeah, but then we would have lost Etta and she's a nice little character. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I just kind of felt, you know, is it that evil's in place everywhere? Even in, when you're in the peace process, somebody there might be yeah. evil. Even the mo- even the one writing the peace process could be the most evil one there. Seemed odd. Uh, let's talk about some of the fight sequences. One of the big things about the introduction of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman in Batman v Superman was her arrival and her massive fight sequence in that movie. Everybody that I know, anyway, came out of that movie going, "I want a Wonder Woman movie. I want to be Wonder Woman. She's awesome." <laughs> she really stood out uh, for her fight sequences. So there's a couple of big ones we've already talked about. Some of them before but and the battle of Themyscira at the beginning of the movie some of the uh, some of the scenes that are in there are so much fun we see some uh, we see some cool uh, use of the Amazonians with their uh, with their arrows, uh, yeah. kind of Hawkeye like in a way, but I'm only making that comparison because Hawkeye is the one with the arrow, with the bow and arrow. Uh, but I love that they're you know they're shooting um, shooting ropes to swing around the place. They've got their horses that they're riding on, really kind of ride the Valkyries or the Amazons. Uh, I, thought that, I thought that was a really good fun scene to introduce that all of these women are warriors. This isn't this isn't anything other than a warrior society for the most part. So everybody there is trained in these great techniques. I thought that was a great scene. Definitely, to see. I think. The only thing for me is they really should have stayed on top of the cliffs. They really should have. Were, because, yeah. go, you know, confronting the Germans effectively on the open field, yeah. on the beach, kind of led to a number of them being killed. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I feel they held the advantage with their bow and arrows yeah. um, on top of the cliff. Do but get, I did like it. I get why they did it. I know it's not it's not proper military. But do you but get the impression like, that on I've, the Hidden Island they haven't actually been out in the world at all, yes. so I, I feel like they haven't actually been in a battle that has ha- has involved machinery, technology, That's and That's guns. The other so thing. they may have expected that they wouldn't be shooting. Uh, metal yeah, projectiles at that's, their, that's, their heads. That's totally, so, yeah, that makes sense. So I wonder actually. if that was it, but you're right. There is, you're kind of going hold up there. And then when your position is lost on top of the, on top of the mountain, then come down yeah. because you've got a great position. You're all really good at but firing bows and arrows. The cliff yeah. things were excellent. Yeah. And I like, I, their, their kind of movement is really fluid. Yep. It, it's kind of like you see it more with Diana when she's going through. The village taking out um, German soldiers oh, in yeah. um, in different rooms as she's kind of running across the rooftops. Um, you know the whole going down and swinging the leg around, mm-hmm. and, like the and just the whole fluid movements off the horseback and and firing bow and arrows upside down. I was like, that's really cool. Like yeah. I think, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, as I said before, uh, what um, uh, Robin writes epic little slow-mo get the shield out jump and three arrows is like very cool very cool what happened to the ship actually because like i know they there were these there were the german shoulders 
Shoulders? <laughs> German shoulders. The German shoulders on the German shoulders. Ooh. Oh, that might be for 1984 when we get shoulder pads. Um, but it's... Because there were the German soldiers in the rowing boats, but there was the big sort of German Navy ship mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And that kind of came through, but just seemed to capsize, I think. Like, I don't know, it hit a rock or the... I don't know, I was thinking, did it just capsize because of the magic or or something of this shrouded island? I have no idea. I don't. I do not remember the ship coming in. Even that's uh, it's a really good point though, because uh, I know it kind of ends, the battle ends. Uh, it does end. Yeah, and everybody's been killed. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. They have killed all of the Germans. So I presume. But there was a massive was like um, battleship that mm. were you know. Interesting. We'll have to go and watch it again. Uh, Chris, any, yeah. <laughs> any comments on the fight sequences at the at the beginning of the film? I just loved them. Uh, I really do. Yeah. Uh, just on your point about the kind of not knowing about guns and things, it's kind of implied that they they have knowledge from the outside world. Yeah. At the same time, like they have their own spy network of like kind of things that report back okay. because they they have all the languages. Like she's able to speak English. But and it was like, oh, we know all all what are hundred and something languages, yeah. and she knows ancient Sumerian, but she also knows English and not yielding English true. from like, yeah, so it's just true. all these. I I was trying to give the movie some credit, uh, so obviously completely wrong. There's no reason at all why why the Amazonians came down off the off the hill. They're trained enough warriors; they shouldn't have uh, yes. have lost that great position. Okay, <laughs> yes, um, but it looked fantastic because they did do a green arrow, like you said, or Hawkeye approach of jump off and swing on a rope. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fantastic. I loved it, and the only bit I have, which is I would have just preferred more, um, and I think that's just a whole. Problem, problem, I have. That's not even a problem. Um, which is, I just, it's again, it's not a problem. It's just a want. Uh, is that I would have preferred more time on Themyscira, be it coming back later, but we know she can't, etc. Just because I think it's such an interesting yeah. society and aspect. It certainly is. But anyway. Do you know, I was listening to the actual dialogue that her mother says to her. And what she says is, if you choose to leave now, you may never come back. And I think that's actually more of a warning from her mother that she doesn't believe she'll survive in the world of men. I'm not, I'm not too sure whether it was saying the borders will be closed to you. Sure. Of course she can come back because the Germans just re- went in a rowboat and went, <laughs> and went through the protective film. There's no way to block her out. It's not like Kunlun in the Iron Fist mythology or, uh, Wakanda in, uh, in the Marvel universe. It's not like she can't walk through that barrier. It's, you're going out into the world and you may never come back. And but, it's just a, a worried mother is what it sounds like. But maybe True. she is aware being a goddess in herself or with a god bloodline. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Misker gets a bit of a hiding from Steppenwolf in Justice League. It certainly does. So, um, mm. you know, ultimately, will that moment when she does go back, it's effectively in ruins. Maybe. Um, maybe. Still from that. Or... Or Although just, that's that's in the future, so actually no, it, it would still be okay in eighty four. It's after that, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I th- I think it's just a, a worried mother saying, if you go off out into the world and discover the everything that's going on, you may never come back to me. I think it's just a, a overprotective mother. I think that this yes. comes. So so she absolutely can come back. Uh, one other battle that I wanted to quickly talk about is just Diana's first fight in London uh, with Steve. I just loved how it was choreographed. I loved that he was 
really protective, even though she knows that he's that she's this amazing warrior. He's standing in front of her, trying to block her from all the guns shooting at her. And we get the reveal of her of her uh, her bands, where she's able to block the bullets. Uh, I thought it was a really well choreographed fight when she sticks her hand out in front of him, blocks the first bullet, and then takes out all of the rest of the guys around. Uh, I thought it was yes. I thought it was really well choreographed, and again shows her saving him uh, until he takes out the last bad guy. But uh, I thought it was just a good little good little moment. Yeah, I, yeah. And there's another little um, fight sequence, and it. W- I might just leave it till we talk about the epilogue that wasn't okay. released. Okay, because it's the bar fights oh, with with, um, with Charlie. Yeah, that's true. Um, the one I just want to talk about is No Man's Land. Mm, yeah, yeah. That, that that scene. It's not really a fight per se, or it indeed becomes a big fight towards it. But just that that whole. That, that, you know, when you, every now and again, you have, there's these film where you get kind of tingly, uh, that tingly emotion, yeah. like, oh my God moment. For me, that was that was where she kind of comes out onto No Man's Definitely. Land. And yeah, she's deflecting the bullets, but then it's the way she's drawing the fire. Yeah. And then that's where they, everyone rushes. Well, no, everyone rushes. The Wonder Men rush. <laughs> and then. Uh, once they get onto the other side, then the rest of the army go, oh boys, all right lads, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, that is a, that is one of those goose pimples kind of, kind of moments. It was, it did, it did feel like that. That was the, the music rising, everything. Yeah, about the music, this. the, 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 the shooting of it, uh, by Patty was just awesome. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with yeah. you. That, that was my epic. The, the 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 goosebump moment um yeah. i think hairs rising on the back of the neck kind of thing absolutely i'm not sure in the structure of most of these films the way they the way they usually have them is you have a little battle at the beginning a battle in the middle where the hero fails and then a big battle at the end where the hero wins as that's the usual structure of all Marvel movies, all DC movies yeah. most movies that have battles in them um here i think the this central um no man's land fight is actually so epic I, I genuinely remember people kind of getting that, that feeling in the cinema when they were watching it. Exactly as you talk about, you can see people kind of standing and cheering Definitely. at this moment that I don't think the final battle can stand up to it. It, it doesn't, I don't think. You know, I think, I think, it's, I think the final battle is, is just how you finish the film. But that, mo- that moment in there is so empowering. Yeah, exactly. It, I don't think anything else in the film could have stood up to I, it. I think that's the thing. It, it stands beyond a fight because it's empowering yeah. uh, as to what it does. And again, it's it's that using that shorthand of how bleak and desolate and scurry No Man's Land is mm-hmm. in people's kind of collective uh, history of or memory of World War One, whether, you know, you've read it or whether you um have lived it yeah it's that and and that yeah or blackadder exactly blackadder the fourth and and seeing the terror that you can apply to that and Mm -hmm. then seeing diana go forward because obviously she wants to save the village and then seeing as you say then the sequence of men following behind her i think the only thing in the final battle that kind of came close to that was where she does have the epiphany about the world beyond Themyscira. That, 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 as I said, the shorthand is, is that 
hum- humankind is crap, but they're also not crap. Yeah. And you get the her doing the bands, um, and you have that conversation, which you don't hear originally with Steve, yes. where he's going off to sacrifice yeah. himself and be that hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything with the Wonder Men that has been sort of come through. Um, so that was the moment. But I, I think the final battle in and of itself felt a little stand like normal. I'm not saying it was bad. It was just like kind of what you kind of want to see in a movie like yeah. this. Yes. Um, We've already seen her as a hero. We've already taken seen her take on the mantle. It is much more in the dialogue, the, the realization of what it is that she is protecting here. It's not just I'm coming out to kill a god, to kill a bad god, which will solve all the world's problems and go back. Yeah. It is her realizing I'm now in the world. People are really complex. Some people do bad things and are great people. Some people do good things and are bad people. There's a huge complex world out here and I'm going to fit myself back into it. You know, there is this line about the Amazonians that what they were created for was protect to protect the world, but they were pushed back into Themyscira and they've sealed themselves in there effectively. And she's kind of coming out of Themyscira to take up that mantle of protector of the world here at the at the end of the movie. But yeah, it's that uh, epiphany moment in that final battle of Wonder Woman. And I should also add with Doctor Maru as well, where <laughs> she has the tank above her. And um, I again, I think you know. Dr. Maru is part of that. I think, you know, that act, the acting from Eleanor and Aya is, is superb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's as much as that moment with this, you know, antagonist, the bad person, yeah. as much yeah. as with Steve and, you know, recounting his conversation that he had with her and obviously all that together. Mm-hmm. So for me, the epiphany moment was the best part of that final battle. Yeah, yeah rather than the fight yeah. itself. Well, the, the the fight itself isn't a fight, really. It, it's in that it's... you. This whole film does book the trend in terms of, like, the three-act structure. And as you said, like, usually the, the middle battle on these superhero films is the one where the, the hero loses. Mm-hmm. She wins the battle, but then later on loses because they all die from the poison cloud. Yes. They they do a lot actually on this where it's booking certain aspects of it. Right. So actually that's that is actually taking the trope then. So she did lose the middle battle. <laughs> Sorry. I know I just I just more meant that the the middle battle is is so iconic almost it stands alone from the film I, in its own yeah, way. I, I think it's the fact of having the um the lead protagonist as as a woman and with the director, because, you know, Steve Rogers, he, everyone's assumption, say, for example, in Captain America is that he can do this. So you need to see him fail. Yeah. Uh, in this, uh, in a sense, Diana has to show to these weakling men that are in the trenches and won't go over the top. Mm-hmm. And I get, I, you know, I can understand, I can empathize why that, no, that, um, women are equal and can do this thing. And I know it's equal within a a God body, but I mean, like, I I think that's why it's different. I think that's why you don't have that failure in the middle. It's actually a triumph um, because there's something different needs to be shown here than than usual, than from a normal, usual um, comic book movie. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, we've already kind of talked about the story quite a lot as we went on. I was I was reserving yeah. a little bit just to talk about the story itself. But as John mentioned right at the beginning, the story itself is actually reasonably simple when you get over the complexities of matching up Greek mythology and uh, and what's going on in World War One, but reasonably good. Like it tells the story well, and and I think the uh, I think really the casting in here, the uh, the writing is is enough to make it complex enough and, and watchable enough. It's it's enjoyable enough, and you don't have to make it too complex and too complicated for for people that wasn't that wasn't necessary. Uh, I do think just that little area yeah. flip is the only thing about the story that I wasn't a, a massive fan of. Um, so that's kind of our, our major points and, and, and discussions about this. We mentioned before we're going to come back to an epilogue scene. Uh, weirdly, I think this was released in on YouTube after the movie was in cinemas and then maybe was added to the movie um, in cinemas, but we didn't see it at the time. We saw it back uh, when, on Blu-ray, uh, when we got it on Blu-ray at home. Um, it's a post-credit scene, traditionally, because it does sit exactly where you think it would sit. Uh, it's effectively Etta Candy meeting up with Charlie, the Chief, and Samir, uh, giving them a new mission. They're in the same bar that they were in where uh, Diana took out the bully that was trying to trying to kill uh, Charlie. Um, Diana took him out in, in the same bar. We have Etta coming in, uh, and we have them kind of teaming up. We have uh, the guys taking out the same bully who's coming back, telling them, you're here alone this time and not with your big, strong woman. Uh, and they all come together yeah. to take out the bully effectively. Well, Etta smacks uh, a bottle over his head. She does. Yeah, she gets the Go last Etta. She gets the last shot in exactly. definitely. Yeah, which is which is really good. But throughout the podcast and I'm really sorry guys that was my fault. I made I did the notes for the majority of uh, of of here. This is where the term the Wonder Men came from. They're trying to think of what they should call themselves in this epilogue scene. They're trying to think of what they should call themselves now that they're all working for Diana Prince. Um, she's sending them missions and they're working for them. Uh, they come up with the idea of maybe Charlie's Angels, uh, if Charlie is the leader, <laughs> which I thought was a good little gag. Uh, another contemporary show of Wonder Woman, uh, back in the, uh, back in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, but then there is, there is the mention, maybe we should call ourselves the Wonder Men going along with Wonder Woman. So, uh, that, that, that's where it came from. It actually wasn't in any of the rest no, of the movie. No, it's not. So no. I'm sorry for putting that in the notes, guys. I uh, got you all confused. Uh, but the mission that's being given to Etta and for the team to do is to find an elusive mother box. If you watched the movie Justice League, you may know what a mother box is. Uh, I wouldn't have known it before, uh, the Justice League. Uh, but but um, effectively, in Batman v Superman, we had one mother box, which is what created Cyborg. Um, then in Justice League, it's discovered that there is a mother box in uh Atlantis, where Aquaman comes from, and there was a third mother box in Themyscira, uh, where Steppenwolf went and beat up all the Amazonians to take this mother box. This is the reference to mother box. This is the mission that Etta has in the early 1900s with this team to go and find that mother box, which will be put safely in Themyscira up until the attack from Steppenwolf. So that feels like a real... MCU and Marvel kind of tying in of this movie into the rest of the universe, yeah. the rest of all these stories. I think this would have been great yeah. being at the end of this movie. It felt like, yeah, it felt it like, felt like it, connection it was important piece. to have in the, yeah. um, and, and even just with, with Etta as well, because, you know, she is seen as the, the, the leader of Charlie the Chief and, and Samir. Exactly. But yeah, the link to the mother box. What happened in Batman v Superman mm-hmm. uh, and with the Justice League? You yeah. know, um, yeah, uh, it was a really good epilogue scene. Yeah. I thought it worked really well, and it, and it kind of tied it back into this Snyder universe, this Zack Snyder universe, where he's yeah. trying to tie all these movies together. And it seems like Warner Brothers executives are like, "No, no, we don't want to do that." <laughs> so they, 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 it seems like they try and pull these bits out 
to not connect them as much as they could be connected. Uh, but that that's my kind of impression. That may not be may not be accurate, and maybe we'll see a bit more connective connective tissue in there when we see his cut of Justice League uh, coming to HBO Max next year. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Four hours, people. Five hours. Uh, I think it's. I think it's going to be a mini series when they when they put it out. It's going yeah. to be uh, one hour a night for a week, uh, which is kind of cool. I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens. He says oh, only, yeah. there's only twenty minutes of new footage being filmed uh, for it. Um, it's all. It is all stuff from his original footage. But uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, one other note for me on, on Easter eggs. I thought it was interesting. Um, the character of uh, of Apollota, um, originally offered to uh, to Nicole Kidman, um, who couldn't come on board to uh, to play the role, but. Uh, but she did come back on board for Aquaman, um, yeah. playing another princess or another queen uh, in Aquaman. So I thought that was quite cool. So she did; she was offered the role. Okay, interesting. I mean, I love Connie Nielsen in this, so yeah. um, I'm not sad, so to speak. <laughs> would have been, would have been interesting to see uh, to see her uh, in the role, playing it up against uh, give it to Robin Wright. But Connie, Connie was good. Yeah, yeah Connie's really fat. good. So on my side, gentlemen. Does Wonder Woman fly or does she jump in this film? I'm not getting involved in this. <laughs> I, this is this is for you two to 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 fight it out. I, I will simply try and start the armistice going on. <laughs> well, long term listeners, uh, the just so you know, if you listen to our Defenders TV podcast coverage, the note Chris has actually written is. Uh, she doesn't fly like Jessica Jones. She jumps. Um, so Chris has finally admitted it. Uh, no, I have, I have, <laughs> I would take in one other piece from the comic books, Chris. She jumps. And the reason I would say this is probably accurate is because remember, she has her invisible jet to fly with. So, yes. so she flies with her invisible jet and she jumps very, very far distances like Jessica Jones, but a much better at landing uh, than Jessica Jones <laughs> ever was. <laughs> Well, it, it, she has been retconned to be able to fly in the comic books. Really? Um, really? She is. So since the New 52, she can fly like Superman and ah, um, things like that. She doesn't need her, maybe even before New 52. But anyway, she can fly. In this, it is, it, it's, it's that weird one because it looks like she's jumping and flying in different scenes. It's, I think they will probably give her flight at some point. Maybe. Because Ares can fly and gods can fly in mm-hmm. this. Um, so it, and also there's a, a kind of hinted at when like she does her superhero landing and the final battle, like she is up and it's kind of time is slowed, but you can see the wind whipping at her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's basically, it looks, she does jump up. And time slows, but the wind is still pushing her back, but she's staying stationary. Yeah. So there is a, a kind of an aspect of oh, maybe she can, you no. Know? And then the very final scene where she, she f- jumps in Paris, that is a pure jump. Yeah. But it looks like a fly. And I'm like, hmm. Anyway, oh. anyway so yes, I, I think in this she jumps. But I think it's given that she has some ability to fly and probably will be shown later. So, so my contribution to this is after what you've said, Chris, um, which I will defend with my life is that she <laughs> yeah. can, she can hover like a helicopter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Her hair is just going so fast. Well, if she does the seventies Wonder Woman. Uh, version of spinning around. Uh, maybe, maybe they'll add that in, spin her around to change into a costume and she flies like a helicopter then. Yeah. It's um, just so fast. <laughs> we can't see it. Maybe it looks it. like she's just staying still. Excellent. Any, any other, uh, any other notes for our uh, Easter eggs and notes, guys? 
Oh, I there there's hundreds of Easter eggs in this uh, throughout like the film. I'm not even going to go into it because it would add another 30 minutes onto the podcast. <laughs> but uh, I strongly suggest like just Google or IMDb that this the film. This is it's fantastic. Yeah, put some fun ones. Definitely with with Chris there. But the only thing I want to I didn't mention is I do like the fact that you know we had Diana challenging um the generals in in london and mm-hmm. um, because one of the big things of the first world war is the idea that it was upper class generals sending a lot of uh people to fight and um, and die without really caring quite frankly absolutely um, mm-hmm. and i thought that was a really nice little uh way of addressing that by by diana who is and um, with the amazonians that um uh, where the generals fight with Absolutely. with their their ranks of soldiers. The generals so, are the best fighters. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Really, really good scene. Really enjoyed that. Um, that they brought that into the movie. Um, final thoughts on Wonder Woman twenty seventeen. Uh, Chris, final thoughts. What do you think overall? Uh, for me, I, I I loved it. I loved it in the cinema. Um, yeah, it has problems. Every like, it has little problems. Yeah, but like nothing that's kind of mind blowing. It's not. And I will say it, it's not like Electra level bad. It's not <laughs> like, like I liked Electra. I liked Daredevil. Oh no. Catwoman. Chris. Catwoman. No. Chris, Catwoman. No. I'm going to have to stop you because I know you've never seen Electra. I know you haven't. We've talked about it before. If you say you liked Electra, you didn't see it, uh, now. So, <laughs> so I know you haven't seen it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoy comic books in general. Uh, it is a terrible film, but I like bad films. I give you Mystery Science Theater 3000. Okay. That is why yeah. I like bad films. But this one is not. This has some standout moments. It gave, but as you said, it is literally a film about a photograph. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, want to know more about this photograph? Here's a film. Yep. And you're like, mm, okay. <laughs> Could, it's an interesting. I'm, I'm more, just from rewatching it, I remember why I enjoyed it so much. And now I'm actually my, if you want to call it that, my hype levels for 1984. Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984, George Orwellian. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. The, 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 that is going to be, that is up now. That is right up there now. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be a good, if, if it's even 75% as good as this film. Uh, it will be a really good film for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hope we get to see it in the cinema. Uh, John, any final thoughts? I'm the same as Chris. I loved, uh, I loved this movie and it was really good coming back to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, after not really having kind of watched it since the cinema, probably. Um, mm-hmm. and not that I can remember anyway. Like, I, I just think it's a really good backstory and introduction of Wonder Woman, but done in a way that's really, um, great with with gal gadot like the music's phenomenal her costume um and and everything it is really really good um and like chris i'm i'm really excited now for wonder woman 1984 yeah so my rating i would give four and a half lasses of truth out of five um i just i really thought this was a great movie i think it's one of the good uh DC canon that's come out um recently that is mainstream uh, and fur dues to um taking on Wonder Woman uh, and, and I think making it that Black Panther moment for for women in in uh, comic book 
f- films. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I, I think for me, this is probably my favorite. Yeah, it's, it's up there with with one of my favorites uh, of the DC movies. Definitely, I think it's a I think it's a great film uh, overall. Uh, certainly, watch it as as often as I as I can. Uh, really good. Um, and yeah, really really enjoyed watching it for this uh, for this review. So a huge thank you to our patrons because uh, we put this up as one of the options uh, for a Patreon movie, a Patreon exclusive movie review uh, back in June, and it came in. Um, side by side with the same number of votes as the movie that we did at the time, which was Captain America Civil War. Um, so thank you very much for the Patreons to, uh, for, for voting for this one. Cause, uh, we have been looking to do it since back then, but we did tons and tons of TV shows since back then. But, uh, this movie overall really enjoyed it. Really looking forward to, uh, to Wonder Woman 1984. And hopefully we'll get to the cinema to see, uh, to see that. I'm sure it is actually called Wonder Woman 84. But anyway, it's set in 1994. So thank you very much for that one. Uh, we've got tons and tons of feedback from our awesome uh, TV Podcast Industries listeners. So over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV Podcast Industries has a feedback. Uh, first up, Trevor Green says, it was the first movie date my partner and I went on after our son was born. We both enjoyed it and we're looking forward to maybe going to see the sequel in cinemas. I can't give any specific thoughts on the film right now, except that it's one of the few DC movies that I'd happily rewatch. Doug Green says, it's the best DC movie hand down. I'll put it up against 89 Batman and Reeve Superman. Also may or may not be in love with Gal Gadot. <laughs> Come on, Doug. I'm sure there's tons and tons of people in love with, uh, with Gal Gadot. She's fabulous in this film. Ben Rush said, it is a film like Batman Begins, which uses Superman's 78 storytelling structure and makes a modern epic where young and old enjoy and made it the most enjoyable DCU film so far oh very good point yeah yeah, yeah. I like that. I yeah. Like that. Uh, there are some references i think to uh to richard donner's superman in in those scenes where uh diana is in london i think uh he also struggled with a revolving door uh in, in the original superman uh some nice yes. uh, little touches and obviously the glasses uh very similar to uh to richard donner's superman yeah, and Giaho says, uh, I loved the old Wonder Woman series with Linda Carter when I was a little girl. I wanted to be Wonder Woman. I was worried I would hate this movie, but I loved it so much. Gal Gadot was an excellent choice. I was oddly moved by the scenes depicting women in battle. When do you see that portrayed on TV or film? Mm-hmm. I nearly cried when they were on. I felt very empowered by this movie. Um David Wang also contributed to this saying, worth noting that this is a superhero movie that takes place entirely outside of the United States as That's well. That's really interesting, isn't it? And thanks very yeah. much, Angie, for, for your thoughts on that. I know, as, as I said, there is some really empowering, empowering moments for the movie, definitely. But it's a really interesting point that David makes. I never really thought about it. I was trying to think, was there another movie that was set entirely outside of the United States? Well, a Hollywood uh, franchise, I suppose, movie. Um even Aquaman has scenes that take place in uh, in the US. The one that popped into my mind, and I, I did make this comment on Facebook, but I'll share it with you. The one that popped in my mind was, does Captain America take place all outside the US? Because it's during World War II and uh, he's fighting his battles uh, across in, in Europe. And then I realized that for some reason, the filming location of Manchester... Uh, where all of, where the first half of the movie is filmed had taken, pl- it was in my mind as that's where the movie took place. But all of that stuff that was filmed in Manchester is in Manhattan or is in, is in New York. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's tons of the film that took place in the, in the, in the US. <laughs> so nothing like, uh, like Captain America that most of that did actually take place over there. So uh, I was going to say Guardians of the Galaxy, but no. That even has a scene in the, uh, even has a scene in yeah. both, both of them have a scene in it. Yeah. Oof. And yet, yeah, thanks as well, Angie, as well, because I mean, that, that whole sort of 
move through to the trenches where you see the women and the children um it's kind of the refugees if you will that element of warfare um <laughs> that is actually quite harrowing and we we didn't mention it in that's the true. um in our main discussion but i think yeah that's not something you see very often in, in a war movie you yeah. know and uh yeah I, good good catch angie yeah, uh, and Angie, I just want to—I I also wanted to call out the the the, the empowerment aspect. Um, this, I think, we briefly touched on it. Similar to like this, had uh, a similar cultural movement as much as Black Panther did um, for the 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 empowerment of people who don't usually see themselves or within a star role, leading role, central mm-hmm. role of a film. And I, I think I spoke to people back in the day when this came out of how how much they loved this because of that moment. So, yeah, uh, great to point that out again. Absolutely. Yeah, Donald Dennis uh, says, It was a good movie with some serious flaws, but I really liked it. Where it was good, it was pretty amazing. When released, it was easily the best DC non-Batman movie, and arguably still is. Also, it is better than at least half of the Batman movies. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed, yeah. I think so. I think it's a really... I I, I think, Donald, your your, uh, comments here combined with Ben's, um, I I think, yeah, it's a really good, um, enjoyable uh movie it's it's just so accessible that's the word it's really accessible absolutely and alan thomas says i liked it especially the fish out of water scenes and the famous world war one battle scene i didn't love it with regards to the last 30 to 45 minutes of the movie i think that i think that can be a fair sum up i i think um you know it it certainly has a slight different emphasis as it brings aries um and sir patrick more (laughs) into it yeah yeah, as a as a tie ties Sir Patrick Moore. I think that's a different person, John Sir Patrick Morgan. Uh, Sir Patrick it? Morgan. <laughs> Patrick yes. Moore is, a, is an astrologer. Yeah. Uh, in the UK, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. Yes, exactly. Uh, thanks so much, Alan Donald. Uh, Lara Willie Swink says the original Wonder Woman TV show with Linda Carter was deeply rooted in my childhood. I couldn't count the number of times I'd spin around on the school playground, wishing that my t-shirt and jeans would explode into Diana's fantastic stars and stripes leotard. So when Wonder Woman finally got her own movie, it was a girl night out affair with me my best friends and my youngest daughter i loved every single minute of it and i thought no one could pull it off better than patty jenkins and gal gadot despite a minor apprehension with the villain at the end i loved that the movie was so full of heart and gadot perfectly portrayed diana's wonderment and disappointment with the mortal world as well as her desire to embrace it and save humanity as a reader of the Perez run of Wonder Woman in the 80s, I felt like this big screen version embodied all the traits of that princess of Themyscira. Strength, compassion and bravery. The mother-daughter story also personally had me tearing up. Oh, that's fabulous feedback, Lara. Really, really like that. That's cool. Uh, definitely want to check out that run uh, of Wonder Woman from uh, from the 80s, the Perez run. That'd be very cool to, to check out as well. Uh, some really great thoughts, though. I know, I, I know everybody felt that when watching uh, Wonder Woman, the Linda Carter one, uh, spinning around my make you into a superhero uh so yeah i i get that okay even i did it yeah exactly and that's why i went flying around in uh, a revolving door yeah there you go, <laughs> there you go. i'm like wonder woman says john girl power 
Salim Kisler uh, said this, It was way too long ago for me to give specific thoughts, but I loved the film. Gal owns the role. I've always been a Chris Pine fan, and I'll be getting myself HBO Max for Christmas. Looking forward to hearing your discussion. Oh, well, lucky Salim. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Second, uh, yeah, that's just the one that I like. I have a beautiful 65-inch OLED here, and for me... Watching that at home on 4K through HBO would have been perfect, but no, even with a VPN, I wouldn't be able to. So, well, the good news, Chris, apparently, because you're, I know you're such a technophile. Um, the good news is that HBO Max doesn't actually broadcast in 4K, so you, it'd be a waste to have it on your TV. Oh, okay, true. There you go. Okay, even better. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I feel better not having it there. Thanks, Salim. Yeah, thanks so much, Salim. Thanks so much, Lara. Uh, finally, on Facebook, Heather Wallace said, I loved Wonder Woman and saw it twice within a week when it was first released, the second time with a friend and a 14-year-old daughter. I loved that it was so hopeful, even though it was set in the First World War. The early scenes in Themyscira were a joy, and I've read that the entire cast and crew found it a special experience as it was the first time for many that they were working on a largely female helmed film Mm -hmm. hearing the original wonder woman tv theme worked in and updated was a fist pump moment as a little kid growing up on an australian farm my elder sisters and i would run around playing wonder woman the bionic woman and charlie's angels sometimes all at once in the ultimate crossover tv in the 70s had many kick-ass female action heroes as a trend it dropped off in the 80s although angela lansbury on murder she wrote and all the golden girls are superheroes in their own right i definitely agree with that heather even though uh, angela lansbury is uh, assumed to be the actual murderer because every time she yes. goes to for 300 episodes somebody dies <laughs> there has to be the good and the bad you know or the good and the evil i should say um heather continues it wasn't until 1996 with buffy that we had an action show headline by a female hero mm-hmm. i'm glad both tv and film has so many more great female role models for young girls and boys now and gal gadot as wonder woman is a wonderful addition to the lineup mm-hmm. it's not a perfect film and the historical inaccuracies are jarring ludendorff was a real person and survived the war but had an ignominious downfall that is worthy of its own film he had to be smuggled out of germany by friends in wigs and disguises excellent yeah, I liked Ares saying that he only prompted humanity's violent tendencies and didn't cause them, but felt it was a cop-out that as soon as he was dead, the war ended. It cheapened that message. Of course, the only Ares for me will always be the great, late, swaggering and smouldering Kevin Smith from Xena. Uh-huh. Steve's sacrifice was too much like Captain America's, but I'm intrigued to see how he's brought back in Wonder Woman 1984. I'm afraid that when it comes out to one of the Hollywood Chris's playing a Steve out of time, a wartime plane ditches into the ocean, reunited with his kick-ass brunette love, it's Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter for me every time time <laughs> thanks so much heather um really uh yeah forgot about kevin smith from xena actually yeah. um as uh, as aries and uh yeah the as i say i really got steve rogers vibe uh from steve trevor there's a little there. there's a little bit there but yeah I'm, I'm a massive captain america fan we've seen a lot more steve rogers on screen and a lot more peggy carter we've got two full seasons of her show uh, as well so uh so yeah i'm, I'm kind of with you but i do like uh chris pine as well so uh totally enjoy it thanks so much for your feedback 
Yes, thank you so much. And I was so confused by that Kevin Smith comment. I was like, Kevin Smith? That's a different Kevin Smith. And also, he's not late great. Wait, what? Hmm. Huh? I was like, uh, yeah. Different okay. Kevin Smith. Yeah. Different yeah. Kevin Smith. There is more than one Kevin Smith. There certainly is. There certainly is. Uh, no, there can be only one. It's like Highlander, right? They kill each other off until there's only one. Until that will take a long, long time. Uh, that's it for a Facebook feedback over on Patreon. Ray from uh, Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast says, Hi, guys. It's interesting, as I've only ever seen Wonder Woman once, but I have fond memories of it despite the general comments of the ending falling flat. Main takeaways for me were the performance of Gal Gadot, who surprised me in the role. When she was announced, I wasn't too convinced, but I felt she brought a lot to the role and the film itself. Her interaction with Chris Pine also gave good chemistry, but if anything, I'd love to see their chemistry more in the sequel coming up. Ares was a bit of a disappointment for me, and I can see how the final act was a step down compared to the rest of the film, but the fight was delightfully over the top. By giving Wonder Woman a strong villain in Cheetah in the sequel, I think they'll take the franchise a step up from what they've already been given with a great intro to Wonder Woman into the new DCEU. Uh, also, Pathania Locklear uh, responded to Ray saying she agreed Ares didn't pluck any strings for me. For Wonder Woman to be so educated, she seemed to have a hard time putting together that the humans outside of her world were uneducated about Ares and therefore couldn't understand her sense of urgency. That was probably the one constant in the movie that annoyed me. Good feedback, Ray and, and Parthenia. Um, it is interesting. I do think that there is problems with the Ares, uh, element of the story. And yeah, I, I get, I get Parthenia's thoughts there that it's kind of partially the marrying up of what, uh, Diana would have been brought up and the education that she would have had about the gods and about Greek mythology effectively and what the people in this new world in 1900 would have known about those gods. Maybe that's part of the yeah. mismatch between it. Um, that Diana couldn't understand why they didn't know about uh, Aries, because she would have been brought up knowing all about it, probably because it means a lot more to her family. And yeah. I think Diana was dealing in absolutes of good and evil. Very true. Yeah, very true. Yes, but also, but Aries, I was, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there. There, there was every now and yeah. again, but Aries, yeah. and you're like, yeah, no, no. Chris Pine gets it. No, but Ares. Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> all right. We haven't even seen uh, Aries yet. Yeah, Who is he exactly? Yeah, um, he's a mustachioed menace. <laughs> well, thanks so much for uh, for those pieces of feedback. We haven't really mentioned much about the storyline of uh, Wonder Woman in 1984 because I don't want to spoil anything, of course. But um, but yes, I'm very happy they're going to have a very strong uh, villain in the sequel. We're going to see Cheetah on screen um, as as the villain in the show. But interestingly, yes, Steve Trevor is coming back for the second movie. I have no <gasps> idea how that's going to happen. He didn't. He used a parachute. We just have no idea. Did he go right. through a, a wormhole and end off in the yeah. 1980s? Um, a parachute. But he, how would he live the 70 years? Because a parachute works by slowing your fall. <laughs> by 70 years. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but yes, looking forward to, to seeing what's, uh, what's going to be coming up. And hopefully, if they can make the film as good as the first one and add in and fix the, the villain problem, I suppose, uh, it can be even better. Cheetah! Kristen mm, Wiig. I know. Can't um, wait for that, actually. It's no. interesting. We've got a DC companion mm-hmm. book, uh, and on the front of it is Wonder Woman and Cheetah. Yeah. So, really good. But, like, we've um, had it for about five or six years, and it's, you know, it's it's Batman versus the Joker, it's Superman versus um, Lex Luthor, um, and it's Wonder Woman versus Cheetah. I'm kind of going, oh, okay, she is that big yeah. of a rivalry oh, yeah. between the two of them that that's the right villain to have, right? Yeah. Yep. But Aries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I need Cheetos now as well. <laughs> All right. We have one final piece of feedback from our good friend, Steve Brown. I'm both frightened 
and aroused. <laughs> hey guys, it's Steve. I'm watching Wonder Woman. I just came across that line and I love it. Okay, that was awesome. That scene where Steve remembered the whole shield maneuver from the beach and she leapt up and just destroyed that tower. Great. Almost forgot to finish. I just finished the movie. And um, wow, I, I remember now why we all at that point, a few years ago, three years ago, 27, whatever year it was, I'm a little, yeah, there. Um, we were all saying this was the best DC movie because it really was. It was really, really good. And, you know, it's it's okay that we have no information about what she did from 1918 to 1984, or maybe, you know, maybe Wonder Woman 1984 will recap something for us of her life during those other, those other periods, but that's okay. You know, and then we know it jumps to Justice League, which was uh, 2017. So, you know, she's got a period, uh, apparently a very long lifespan, but I, before I forget, I do want to say that, Gosh, Gal Gadot definitely has the same, at least for me, the same appeal that Linda Carter had uh, when I was a kid uh, and watching Wonder Woman and just loving it so much. And we all had crushes. I mean, maybe not we all, me, had crushes on, you know, Linda Carter, Aaron Gray, uh, for sure, uh, and just loved it and can't wait to hear you guys talk about this one and uh, dig deep into it. So uh, I'll talk to you later. Oh, oh, yeah. Whatever you do next, I might try to check it out. Uh, Pennyworth? Yes, we'll be talking about what we're doing next uh, in a moment. But thanks so much for your feedback, Steve. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I totally get how much you're enjoying the film. That uh, sounds like you had a lot of fun watching it as well. I'm glad we were able to uh, to push you towards watching it a second time. Uh, I know you watched it back when it came out in the cinema because you're a big fan of uh of Wonder Woman, so uh, so I'm glad you watched it again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, Steve, uh, for for the feedback. It is it's such a good movie, mm-hmm. um, and I think like it's it's just good fun. Yeah. It's a good fun movie, yeah, exactly, uh, and it's got a lot of heart. Absolutely, and uh, pulled out a favorite quote there of yours from the film. Yeah, actually, I had that written down uh, from uh, Samia. Uh, I'm both frightened and aroused <laughs> after Diana's. Uh, Epic destruction of a historical monument. Yes. Yes. I did think that. Were all the villagers really going to come out and collapse after she just destroyed their church? <laughs> I did think that maybe they were like, oh, I can't believe she's just destroyed our church tower. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks so much, Steve. And thanks, everybody, for your feedback uh, for this episode and our discussion about Wonder Woman 2017. As Steve mentioned, we will be staying in the DC Universe for the next couple of weeks. We are going to be staying in London's DC Universe as well. We're going to be talking about Pennyworth Season 2, which begins on Epics in the US from the 13th of December. We could say this now, John, can't we? Yes. We have the first couple of episodes of Pennyworth, and we've recorded our first podcast about Episode (gasps) 1 of Pennyworth Season 2. It's so much fun. It's a it's such a good show. If you watch through the first season of the show, you'll kind of know how they deal with uh, the DC universe in London. Uh, it's very different, very quirky. Their description of it is it's the world, but about 35 degrees off. Um, and it's a new world yeah. in the second season. We we were I was listening back on our podcast about season one of Pennyworth. I always like to do that when we go into a season two so I can get I kind of remember how we talked about the show. 
And literally, we are all the way through our discussions. We're going, I don't know whether it's getting to season two. I don't know whether they're going to come back and expand the story. We have no idea at all. It took about six months to get this season two confirmed. So, um, so they've, yeah, they needed to kind of build it up, but it feels like a bigger show. It feels a bit more to pardon the pun because it's on epics, but it feels a bit more epic in, in season yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it continues the weirdness, mm-hmm. uh, Monty Python-esque type humor, Maybe. Uh, a splattering of grannies, uh, of kick-ass grannies. No spoilers. Say it. No spoilers. Uh-huh. Uh, it's weird. It's kooky. Yeah. Um, Paloma Faith is back um, as Bet Sykes, which is awesome. Um, is that a spoiler? No, no, because okay. no, she does survive season yeah. one. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just something different that you yeah. would not expect. It's certainly not CW. No, it's quite sweary. Um, quite sweary. Once again. Quite violent. Quite violent, once again. And Chris, I know you're not going to be with us for our Pennyworth coverage, uh, as you still haven't watched season one. Nope. Um, but you will be back with us for our 2020 wrap-up, where we discuss all the shows that we talked about yeah. in, uh, in 2020. And maybe, if we have time, because we've discussed a lot of shows in 2020, if we have time, we'll talk about some of the shows that we're going to be talking about in 2021, uh, some little previews that we usually do on the shows that we're, that are coming up. But we do know one of those shows, which is the next big one that you're going to be back with us. The next big show we're going to be talking about is Wanda Vision. Yes. Well, as I like to say, Wakanda Vision. Yes. And I as, keep getting it wrong. Yeah. As our listeners <laughs> heard the last time we mentioned it, they heard uh, One Division, thinking it was a spin off <laughs> of One Direction. <laughs> uh, that's partially to do with our accents. But uh, yes, One Division, the first Marvel TV show coming from uh, Disney Plus, uh, the first Marvel TV show coming outside of the ABC studios. He did all of uh, Agent uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter. And this is the first one not on Netflix. So this is. How are they setting up the universe for uh, Marvel TV? I, I know it's so good that Disney Plus is putting fresh content out that's not The Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> well done, lads. I'm just I I can't wait. I, I'm a bit disappointed we're not getting it for Christmas. January fifteenth okay. is not too bad. Um, yeah. It's like still close. It's what we're, from recording we're a month and a half away. Um, yeah. It's still it. It seems to be, I'm expecting them that this is COVID related. They're pushing everything back slightly because they still have to fill, do a bit of post production on Captain and uh, Winter Soldier. Uh, yes, they still had filming to do on that. that exactly. The difference was with uh, with WandaVision, apparently they'd fil- finished all the filming. Yeah. They didn't have to do much of that to t- close it off. It was more to do with the uh, with the CGI and the special effects and stuff, which was much easier to finish before. Um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which will be coming later in 2021. And of course, we'll be covering that here on TV Podcast Industries as well. But I hope you're as excited about our upcoming shows as we are. We are in a little bit of a break. Yes, we absolutely know we should have been covering The Mandalorian uh, at the moment. Yes. We know we should have been covering Star Trek Discovery. Yes. Both excellent shows oh. every single week. Friday over here when we get both shows. Oh, Sci-Fi awesome. Friday. It's yeah, so yeah. good. And... There is also the wonderful uh, Dark Materials on BBC as well and HBO that's coming out every week, which we've both been loving watching as well. Yeah. So, uh, so it's so much great TV at the moment. But unfortunately, we had to take a little break and it happened that uh, that we couldn't have done any of those shows during uh, during this period. So I hope you've enjoyed our return to TV Podcast Industries for a good movie uh, with Wonder Woman. And yes. we'll be back on the 13th of December with Pennyworth Season 2. Yes. Thank you so much for having us. We look for, I look forward to seeing everyone in the new year and also speaking to you again at the wrap up. I'll even might tell you about a few other little things that I'm doing and watching and playing and 
That might be a spoiler. But who knows? Um, <laughs> yes. And in the immortal words of Wonder Woman. Ah, <laughs> and in the immortal words of Samir, I'm both frightened and arrest. Ah, <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, and coming back to us after we've been on our little break, mm-hmm. fellow moviegoers. And, of course, I cannot wait uh, to be getting our fellow Gothamites and our fellow Defenders back uh, with our new content coming up in December and the start of 2021, mm-hmm. when we'll be able to skip around, uh, hopefully, at some point. Yeah, and hopefully um, go to the cinema and exactly. watch Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as always, it is great chatting with you guys and gals and i can't wait to see you again soon remember though keep watching and keep listening bye bye i used to want to save the world to end war and bring peace to mankind but then i glimpsed the darkness that lives within their light and learned that inside every one of them there will always be both a choice each must make for themselves, something no hero will ever defeat. And now I know that only love can truly save the world. So I stay, I fight, and I give. For the world I know can be.